Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show tonight. We are coming to you at a very special and unusual time for a show, but sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes we got to bring you the content when it's hot off the presses and we are less than 24 hours removed from the last Seahawks game. So we got to get together and talk about it here. I'm here with Brandon of the Hawks Nest, and we are here to talk about the Dallas Cowboys preseason game of last night. How are you doing tonight, Brandon? Floating on a cloud, my friend. Feels awful good to come out of this win, especially when uh, it, it is one that doesn't seem sort of like a chaotic victory of a bunch of mess or a couple of guys doing something really nice to make it happen. But much much like last week's victory, I thought it shared sort of a, a twin-like mentality in the way that they got this done. The fact that the team seems like it's building something here and, and, and you're you're putting things together, which is like how you'd like it to feel, I think, when you go through preseason. But you actually are seeing that on the field. You are feeling that. And this goes in addition to what we're hearing from training camp and kind of the energy that you're hearing coming out of that place. Uh, and this is, I think, what we would call the ideal when it comes to preseason. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. There's not a lot to be concerned about or upset about after this game. There are a couple things as there's going to be. But almost half these guys are not going to make the team. So you definitely would expect some of them to just not be up to standard. But overall, I think we can feel fairly good about where the team is going into the season. So um, let's uh, start. Let's just go ahead and jump right in here and start with the Seahawks offense. Uh, and namely the quarterbacks, because I felt like we got positive things from all three quarterbacks that played last night. Geno, Locke. And even though it only matters so much, I would say Holton Allers at the very least is making this fun and giving himself a chance at the practice squad because before this preseason, I didn't think he had a chance, but now I, I think he does have a chance. So did you uh, feel the same way about these quarterbacks? Yeah, I think everybody did uh, as well as you could ask for. And certainly Drew Locke, a guy that you're hoping steps a little bit more firmly forward when he goes out onto the football field did that in this game and did one of the things I was hoping for, which was, of course, removing some of the turnover-worthy plays or just some of those moments where everything's just going, going good, and then when it goes off the rails, it really goes off the rails. None of that last night. And he continues to throw you with some of those throws that he can make where he has arm strength, he's got um, a good, quick release, and then he's got an ability to put the ball in a very exact spot, even deep down the field like he did on the Jackson Smith and Jigba route. And so uh, all the guys were, I thought, impressive. Gino was just in for real quick, but he did fine. Um, his pickup, Brendan, on the blitz, you know, where he had Bobo. And and I've harped on it a bunch. I harped on my postgame video, but it's something that I think that for the Hawk fans that wonder about Gino continuing to play well into the season and if he can duplicate what he did last year, if he's going to come up the line of scrimmage and be that much in control and that much able to recognize blitzes and then flip to the right protections, flip to the right plays, get the players in the right position because he's just so on it on that particular detail, that's going to help him out so considerably in this modern NFL. And uh, it did on that play. It will into the season. And just part of the reason why I think Gino is going to continue to sustain his performance this upcoming year. Yeah, yeah. He did what he needed to do. He knocked the rust off. He didn't do anything crazy over the top, but I, I think he, I mean, he completed every pass except for the one that Derek Young dropped, right? So what else can you say other than it looks like he's pretty much ready for the season. And uh, I, too, was happy with the way Drew Locke played. It was definitely an improvement over last week. Um, really impressed, by the way, with how he gets the ball out quickly when there is pressure, because there were some opportunities for him to take a sack 
or um, even worse in some plays. And he didn't do it. He didn't let it happen. He played, um, what was it, like four drives in that game and did not get sacked once. And there were opportunities for him to do so. So I like how quickly he's getting the ball out. That's an area where that's one area where he might actually be a little bit better than Gino, even though I do think Gino's pretty good at that. Locke, it seems like he's got that under control pretty well. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I mean, he's in he's a very toolsy guy for the same kind of reasons. They're they have different, they're very similar in certain strengths, but they're also certain things that ones do better on than others. But they both are guys that I would say that are second round guys that went there because they are toolsy. We don't think of them in that way because anything outside the first round must be a quarterback who's limited somehow, maybe physically. And and that's not really the case with these guys. They've got that. And the the quick release definitely is a part of his game, part of what attracted coaches to him on top of such a strong arm and then an accurate arm. It's it's really, though, when you go to Drew, it's not a matter of, to me, the physical stuff with him. I will say he can do everything you need him to physically do on the football field from the quarterback position. Really does boil down to him you know, playing under control, like you're kind of referencing, you know, he rolls out on that, that rollout early in the game and goes to Noah Fant. And, you know, the first read there is to probably go to the outside route, you know, the, the route that's out there. And you, you kind of feel him start to have a moment there where you're like, okay, are you going to panic here and try to force that in? Are you going to try to run it when there's no space? Are you going to just kill the play and throw it away? Doesn't panic, stays under control, comes back down to Fant on a second read and throws the ball right in there and allows Fant to take up field for a 21 yard gain. And I, I thought you saw that throughout in his short stint on the field. The only downside is you just wish you would have been able to see more of him because he had a little bit of the dirty hit there um, because he was rolling so right. And you're going, okay, it's, it's turning on this. And this is what this guy needs right now. In my opinion, Brendan, he needs game snaps. He needs game snaps in a functional system, you know, where there's not some defensive coach who's pissy over on the sideline. Like, uh, you know, Fangio was reportedly with him at times. Yeah. Um, one thing that a lot of fans were talking about, because I did stream the game last night, one of the few times I'm going to do that this year, one thing a lot of people were saying was they wonder, could we look at a situation where we trade Drew Locke, maybe not now, but mid-season, later in the season, if a quarterback gets hurt and a team out there is like, we really need a quarterback for the rest of this year, we don't like who we have, but we like that Drew Locke guy, if he has another really good game next week against the Packers, do you think that's a realistic possibility? I would say that it's more likely than not would have to happen before the start of the season for that to occur. It would also require a starting quarterback in this league to go down that's already set at the position. I don't think one's going to come in there and make this move at this point for Drew. Um, who's got a quarterback that they were going to run with to start the year, but they just don't like how they're looking in camp right now, so they'd be willing to transition to Drew. And it's hard to bring a quarterback in, like unlike other positions, like let's say running back, Bringing a quarterback in midseason if you're hoping to reclaim your year because you've lost your starting quarterback is kind of hard to do. To get him to pick up all the the plays and the reads and the protections and you know just it's all it's it's kind of too much to to sort of bear unless you just have a quarterback like a Vic you know a Lamar Jackson type or whatnot where you're just like okay well, you're gonna do one read you're gonna do read options all game long you know we'll just lean into that and Drew's not that kind of guy so. It would have to happen in the next probably week, and I don't think we've had an injury to yeah. uh, cause it to occur. Yeah, I agree with that. Although, I don't, I mean, is Drew Locke better than any quarterback on the Niners? <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to talk themselves into it. Is I, It's funny. All their camps have their one play they'll pull from their one individual guy. So I watched the Niner uh, preseason this morning, Brennan, and they've got, you know, the, the, I'm, I look over at Twitter, and the Niner fans are like, pull the one Brock Purdy play. And, you know, here's the one. <laughs> 
here's the one Trey Lance play. And then here's a Donald, you know, and but it's not a collection of plays, right? It's this just sort of just this one kind of play in there. And uh, hey, maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I certainly could say we might get through the end of this training camp going, yeah, I would rather maybe roll with him. They're none of them are really showing anything quite yet. I mean, they lost, I think, one point by one point in the game. There, all the quarterbacks I watched that game, there was some good, some bad a little bit there with it, you know, and, and nobody yeah. really looked like they're just taking the, taking the job head on, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. So I think that's about it for the quarterbacks. Very happy with what I saw there. Um, running backs. It was kind of tough sledding at first. I feel like not a lot there, not a lot yeah. of opportunity to get yards. The one time Charbonnet got a hole, he, he hit it. He did his thing. So I think a lot of people liked seeing that because that was the first big play he's had this preseason. Um, one thing that came up, because again, I like to try to kind of get a feel for what people are thinking based off the stream chat whenever I'm streaming one of these games. You can get an idea for where fans are going kind of emotionally because they're yeah. watching the game and they're immediately reacting to it. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are talking about, well, Kobach didn't play last night. I almost kind of feel like we're trying to keep him a secret so he doesn't get... <laughs> Uh, picked up after he gets waived so we can get him on the practice squad. Maybe, maybe Uh, Austin (laughs) Kobleckler. Yeah. Yeah. So Sir Roderick Thompson jr. Actually did some good stuff last night. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think that DJ Dallas's roster spot is in any kind of trouble? Cause the other three running backs, they're good, but what Mm -hmm. about DJ Dallas? I, I think unless DJ Dallas was to have an injury, you know, in the next week or something, because that would be the only thing that to me would get the coaching staff at a point of being a little bit fed up with it because he did have a little bit like Homer did where you're not playing a lot of snaps, but you always seem to end up injured. And I, maybe it is not, it's not, maybe not your fault, but that is what we kind of keep having to run into you. And we're trying to fix this problem of having our running back room constantly taken to the nub every year because everybody's injured. And the one way we can do that is by not having guys that have a proclivity of getting injured. That's the way we avoid that. And uh, mm-hmm. so there, there is an argument from that standpoint if the coaching staff is to that point with Dallas and don't feel like he's going to stay healthy. But he's here. He has the familiarity. He can play a variety of different roles from a third down back to even if you probably needed him to in a pinch, run a couple of games as a, a 15 to 20 yard, 20 carry guy. Um he averaged 5.3 yards per carry last year. He's there, you know, you, he, I'm not saying he excites me and he's certainly, I'm looking more to Macintosh as even the third guy mm-hmm. over the top of him, but the coaching staff's going to lean into the, I think the steadiness of what he provides and, and call it a day with that. I would say. Yeah. Honestly, as of right now, DJ Dallas might be the pass protector. We trust the most because mm-hmm. Walker, I don't think he's great at it and it's only a second year and the other two guys are rookies. It's very mm-hmm. possible that DJ Dallas is the guy who in a emergency situation might be out there, not because of injury, but because we think he can pick up blitzes better than anybody else. Remember the uh, claim to fame with DJ when he was, when he was selected in the fourth round and it was one of those kinds of kind of almost made you roll your eyes, you know, rather than it being about his explosiveness or his burst or his ability to break tackles. It was, he's the best pass protecting running back in this draft. Yeah. And I mean, there's some value to it, and oh, yeah. especially to your point on like that, that is supposed to be what he brings. But uh, yeah, maybe we'll see that. I think he's also a receiver convert here, you know? So slide yeah. that I, I've always thought sliding eventually into that third down back might be a little bit of a eventual Homer had it kind of on lock because Homer was probably one of the better hard hat 
third down backs, right? He wasn't your third down back. That's one of the better ones in the league that's going to like get a lot of yards, but he's for what you need the guy to do from blocking to catching a pinch and all that Homer can give you pretty. So Dallas just couldn't overtake him, but I think Dallas is well suited for the role. All right. So, um, Talu Papa got a little bit of run. I guess he actually got signed early in the day and mm. then was playing in the next game. So playing that night. So that's uh, kind of cool. But um, oh, there's one other thing I want to talk about with our running game, I guess, would be um, we tried the fly sweep a couple times uh, last night. But uh, mm. we used the most unexpected individuals no. to run it. Uh, I think it was Lindsay. And then we had one with... Uh, I think it might have been one of the running. I think DJ Dallas was lined up wide, and then we used him as the uh, fly sweep guy. So it seems like there's an effort to get that back in our game, I guess. Yeah, I mean, two attempts is okay, I guess. I, I'm really been battering down for and, and asking for the team to try to run it with like a goal of a minimum of five times a game. And and that that's try to come with four or four times a game, once a quarter, run it. Um you know, because I think that that's where it, it can be most effective. You touched on, I think, my issue with who they had to do it is, and this is why I've said for years, we've got to have the guys who can run the fly sweeps. Tyler can do it. We've tried to have him do it. We've had Penny Hart try to do it. You have to have the guys that can be those, uh, lack of better word, Debo Samuel types. Not a Debo Samuel is that good, but a guys like even Eskridge that are built to be that sort of hybrid in between the receiver and running back position to where they're going to be fast enough to get around the edge. But then the first bit of contact that they sustain isn't going to take them to the ground either. Um, they didn't have to work, but like you, I, I am at least encouraged that they're trying it. They weren't doing a whole lot with screen game stuff in this game either, which is another thing we've been looking for them to kind of try some more of, but um, it was a very vanilla game plan. I thought all the way down the line and not in a bad way, but just that they had chose to not really un unfurl very much, but. Yeah, I mean Dallas has just gotten he doesn't have the speed to make that play work, you know. He's you've got to have the guy that gets instantaneously up to full gear. And Dallas is kind of that you know, like yo, the engine will get up there eventually, but it's gonna take a little bit of time to get to the top. And that's yeah. gotta be a quickness play where the guy just is exploding past the line laterally and then he gets into the open field. Mm. Yeah, I, I kind of get the sense that on both sides of the ball, the Seahawks have plans that are player dependent mm -hmm. and because those players are not there we don't see the plan yet like we don't have k9 or macintosh so therefore you don't see a lot of screens because those guys would probably be a big part of the screen game right i would think defensively we don't have our two superstar or hopefully superstar man corners so therefore we don't see more the the more exotic stuff on defense because we have our backup corners in and we don't mm -hmm. have jamal adams so we don't see the safety blitz stuff so it seems to me like our ability to unleash depends on the health of these players. It very well could. Uh, I, I, I got to say, it's there's those times in watching the game that you see the team dropping with the just the especially like defensively, you drop with your full drop, four man fronts, two man fronts with the two outside linebackers. Where we got to think of a name to call this, Brendan, that's the shorthand, so we can just call it that. Um, cause it's its own unusual thing. Two man fronts, I guess works, but it doesn't, I think it throws people off cause they picture just two people on the line. Um, the times that they do show the pressure looks, it, it, it drives me crazy the last couple of years. I, I it just, it, cause when they do actually run pressure based, usually they have success with it or at least a high, high point of the time they do. And like last night against on the Trey Brown pick that he had, that was on the back of you showing a pressure based look to the quarterback and, and then 
everything got a little bit rushed. Everything got a little bit sped up from that. And and there's some those times in this game, I saw it a few times just like that, where even if they weren't bringing the pressure to show it, I hope you're right about that. I do think you're also right about that. I don't think that they're think, seeing a reason to show it. Though I do wonder at times, you know, don't you have to kind of work out some of these things though too? It's not just about the player himself who's going to go and blitz now. It's all the also the defensive linemen in the position they need to be in when you're going to run those blitzes. You know, which gap do I got to be aligned? Maybe Bobby will be still on it and he knows and everybody will be just, we're vets, we know where we need to be. We don't need to, you know, run it through 15 times to get it. But that is the part that I wonder about where if you don't work on it, you don't show it in the few live live actions that you're going to have to get to the to the real the real deal. How good do you expect yourself to be at it? Yeah, I that that just it makes sense to me because I do feel like if you go back to that first quarter against the Broncos last year, you did see some of that stuff, and then mm-hmm. Adams got hurt, and we kind of had to pull back significantly because I mean Josh Jones trying to do his Jamal Adams impression was just depressing. So yeah, um, I, I I don't know. I, I still feel like there's got to be something there. Like you look at how soft our corners were playing last night. I look at that and I go, "There's no way we're going to be doing that when Woolen and Witherspoon are going later this season." So what comes with that? Yeah, I think, I, or even to give you a little bleed through from when there is moments of things they're going to call that's probably more like regular season. Having Mike Jackson up and press, and then he's not actually pressing. He's going to try to just run for step for step with the with the, um, I believe the ex receiver over there, the guy in the line of scrimmage. And that's not really Mike's Jackson's game. I, I mean, that's, you know, it's it, Weatherspoon, but that he could do that. If you had him over there and said, okay, just you're going to run step for step with him in this nine route, he'd be there step for step with it and easily comfortably run with it. So he's not panicking when the ball's in flight because he's trying to just stay step for step with the guy, which is what I think happened with Jackson there where it was a little underthrown, but he's, he's so busy trying to keep his wheels with the other guy that he just can't get back to ever look for the ball coming in. And that's that's where a guy like Witherspoon will. So I, I think you're right that they're going to do that. It, it, it There's some concerns with the fact that they wait on that, but I get it. And hopefully you're going to catch a team like the Rams and these other teams in the first few weeks really unaware and having to kind of scramble in order to figure out what it is you are doing because you really haven't fully unveiled this stuff since you brought the new defense on, since Adams went out after the first quarter of the first game last year. Couple of donos here. The snail. Thank you for the five dollars. Drew Locke is better than any QB on the Broncos, Brendan. <laughs> uh, I wonder if they would take him back. Like, uh, like, like. Uh, I was well. That's what you're at. You know, you're asking not. that. I, you know, you're asking that, and I was like, I was like, well, you know, I mean, Peyton looks at that roster right now, and he's like, if Stith- Stith- Jared Stitham isn't the guy behind, you know. But there's no way they would do it. But that's really it's 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 ironic. That would be if you pick any of the teams in the league, Brennan. Would you not agree? If I really probably boiled it down to the teams that would make maybe that trade, Broncos, uh, New England, maybe if they didn't like what they're seeing from Mac Jones, but they haven't really indicated that. But Denver maybe one of those teams that would in a in a weird sense of irony. But uh, nobody's going to. But it'd be that'd be hilarious. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, they, remember they got Ben Denucci too, and Denucci's actually playing pretty good this preseason. So don't it's forget true. about that. He tore up US, USFL, right? He was like mm-hmm. the five thousand. No, no, no. Yards he was uh, he was the best XFL quarterback. I XFL, think. XFL. I get the leagues confused. Yeah, XFL. That's right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't think they would either. Just on principle, they wouldn't do it. But um, yeah, he's he's a good quarterback. He's he's got a lot of ability, and there's a lot of things about his game to really like and to believe that he can take that Geno Smith 
ascent when he gets his next second opportunity. But Gino had to clean things up through that 10-year period he had until he got a chance to start. It's been about a two-year period since Drew Locke got his chance to start. And not all of those kinks have been worked out of that hose. You know? Yeah, and with Gino, I still feel like Gino is still a little more turnover prone than maybe the average quarterback. Like, I think that's just kind of part of who he is. He's going to make a couple of throws that you won't see a guy like an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or once upon a time, Russell Wilson. Like, those guys can play a full season and only throw like four or five interceptions. I don't think even in his much better state now, Gino would ever be able to do that. And Locke, probably the same. Even if he does become a good player, there's just a limit. Yeah, it, it's also the the good returns you get on the other side of it, right? Because with both Locke and Gino, and you're right, Gino's learned to find the 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 magical middle ground there, right? Of making those throws, but then not having too many turnover-worthy throws. Locke's trying to find that magic. Where can I be aggressive? Where do I need to keep it just a little more safer? And that's, he'll probably end up finding that balance with it. But you also get the good side of this, which is those throws like Gino made in New Orleans, where he's flowing to his left and he throws 25 yards to Noah Fant on a dime that, you know, or to, to Tyler Lockett on two of the bombs in the same game, where he's going over the top at one point into triple coverage and he drops it right in the bucket, 50 yards down, right in the middle of the back of the end zone. And that's, you do get those on the other side of it with these guys too, especially when they learn with time and as a veteran and playing a lot of time in this league of what, what, they, when they can push the line when they can't. And when you have a guy like you mentioned a guy like Russ, you know, part of what made really Russ good with holding down the interceptions was making sure that he really often saw the separation on the route. And then I will let it go. Well, a lot of what most quarterbacks are going to try to do is, is throw with anticipation on that separation and that's a lot of what Gino does. And I think Drew Locke does the same same kind of thing. But that's going to lead to naturally probably a couple more upticks of interceptions. But it should also lead, just on my point of this, the, to, the, to the more big plays down the field too, to those big yeah. shot chunk plays along with it. Yeah, I mean, I think the last year and a half of Russell kind of taught us that it is worth it. Like mm-hmm. sometimes uh, there was an article on field goals written about a year and a half ago. I remember reading it. It was said, uh, the only thing worse than turnovers is being so afraid of turnovers that you take all risk out of your game. Like that that's worse. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Because it's, it comes back to that playing scared, playing not to win. It's a, it's a very simple little mantra, but it's one that's timeless and true and true throughout all sports. If you play with that kind of mentality, you're, you're not going to be setting yourself up for the most success. You may have some success, but you're not going to get to your your top end phase of things because you got to play with a, 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 a you know a freer spirit. Did, did that team ten years ago, Brendan, that you know won in the Super Bowl, were they playing with any sort of sense of fear, or any sense of hesitancy, or any sense of you know no? It was it was completely wild and unfettered, and you know put the pedal down and let's go, and we'll think about the consequences tomorrow. Kind of like that was their way. And uh, that got them to where they got. And I think you've got to play the same way from a quarterback positioning standpoint. Interceptions are going to occur inevitably inevitably to everybody. I mean, Tom Brady, the reason that he knocked his down was because he turned the back half of his career into the spread formations, option routes, seven yards, seven yards, five yards, four yards, six yards, right? I mean, that's what he did. And those kind of throws that short are going to be like right the guy that holds the ball longer. It's That's going to lead you to less interceptions. And Brady found effectiveness with it. But not everyone can play the game that way. And there's a way to win at this where you are, you know, letting down. Mahomes is always going to have his share of interceptions, right? Yeah. Same, same principle there involved. He's he obviously is more right, way more right than wrong, but same kind of principle, you know, risk versus reward. Right. 
Scotty Mack, thank you for the 1999. I really enjoyed these live streams. Thanks for all the great Seahawks content. You guys make a good team. Keep it going. Go Hawks. Thank you, Scotty. I appreciate that. Thank you, Scotty. Appreciate you, man. Go Hawks. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see here. Linda Schuster, no message, just a $10 dono. Thank you, Linda. Appreciate that. You're awesome, Linda. Appreciate you. Okay. I think she actually meant to send this and it got, it didn't send. Colin Coward predicts, well, we will win our division. I haven't been this excited about our team in years. Yeah. I did hear about the Coward thing. Yeah. He's been slowly coming around when I check a clip here or there the last couple of months. You start him off the off season and, you know, we really believe Gino. We really believe Gino. I mean, really. And, you know, it's now he's gotten through the far part and he's probably got some sources from his connections lately going, um, but he's, I'm not surprised with it. I, I think too, and maybe I'm, it might be in Homer in this, Brendan, but I'm just, we talked a little bit about this a couple of days ago. There's just a sense from what's coming out of that Niner camp. It's, it's not something that's like, well, this is just functional and there's, you know, fighting going on in that locker room, but it just doesn't feel smooth it doesn't feel like that camp has just gone for them like everything's just rolling along Bosa's still holding out still I mean now where we're at and they can't decide on a quarterback and up to a couple of days ago they had four guys splitting the reps and they've got some other issues too where I watched that game Brennan and that offensive line can't pass block at least not from what I was seeing I'm sure Williams can but the rest of that line down the down the down the lane um I think there's some some concerns there yeah, they, I mean, they, they have clear problems. They yeah. have clear problems. I think we've both been talking about it a little bit. It's not, it should not be as good as it was last year, which is weird to say because they had all those quarterback injuries last year. Yeah. But, like, like I'm I'm a little, I, I, I think their defense is still going to be really good. I'll say that. I think their defense is still going to be like a top three unit. Honestly, in terms of actual effectiveness, they might be the best defense in the league still. I know they lost mm. some secondary guys. I, I don't think it matters that much. Well, they're, been, but, they're built inside out too. So that makes yeah. it, I'm with you on that. Yeah. But that offense could really be like middle of the road. That offense could really be. And Jake Moody doesn't look good at all. They may lose a game this year because of kicking that they normally would have won. Like um, you add it up and it's not hard to imagine this getting to a point where he's um, where they end up with like 10 wins or something somehow because it just gets away from them. It very well could, and I agree with you. The defense is still going to be good. They got Hargrave in there. You never know when Javon Kinlaw is going to have the light turn on next to him down there, and that gives them, if they get two of those guys going, they've got that line right back and rolling, you know, full, fully fully go. But I, I think that the the issues they have that team could be the things that sink them down a little bit. I, I like the way you put that at 10 wins, Brendan, because it's not sink them in a way of saying, well, the Niners will just fall off a cliff this year. No. Saying – Okay, they go back three games, two to three games. And that's definitely where I could see that potentially, you know, rearing itself for them this season. And it wouldn't shock me at this point because it's most is still not in camp. I, I can't tell me how many times, Brendan, I've had players throughout going back to my childhood that would hold out even back in the day and miss all of training camp and then come into training camp. And then some weird piddly injury comes up and ends up like, either plaguing them throughout the whole course of the year or they just end up suffering a season-ending injury it's a it's a wrap and it's you got to have that training camp time to build your body up and get everything prepared most of the time there are freak shows but you yeah. know yeah, what are they what are they doing though they why are they not paying him like what are what are we doing here i know exactly what the problem is here brennan and i right. i swear to god i predicted on it 
when we talked about this six months ago. His brother Bosa took the market from 23 million, which I think you had Frank Clark average 23 million a year was the top of the market, or Lauren or the the Dallas Cowboy rusher, not Micah, the other guy, and he took it to 27 and a half million dollars. So edge market 23 million. Bosa says to Chargers, "I want my deal. I want it here. They get it to 27 and a half." Now he comes into these negotiations with the the Niners as his brother. The Niners didn't pay him after year three. The Niners didn't pay him after year four. He's coming into year five. So they've waited to pay the Piper here. They could have rewarded him after year three, gotten themselves into a contract that might've been more economical, but they were trying to stretch it out as far as they could for their Super Bowl window, didn't they? And now they've waited all this time and now you got to pay. And what does he want, Brendan? Well, if, if Aaron Donald's at 31 and a half, if he's at 31 and a half as an inside defensive tackle, does that not put Bosa at a point of saying 35 and meaning it? A year, I want yeah. thirty-five million a year. I mean, that's kind of always what I expected, honestly. Like that should yeah. be, even if you gave him the deal last year, it would not have been that much less than that. Like, uh, are they blindsided by that? This guy just won Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, they, well, that's the worst part too, right? I mean, it's beautifully the worst part for us as Seahawks fans because they waited to pay this guy, and then they waited to pay him, and now he's had the most what what the the most beneficial award you could be asked to give to a defensive player before you're about to come up for a contract especially if you're going to ask for a market breaking deal quarterback level money you absolutely have a leg to stand on nobody in the media is going to blow back on you and say how dare he ask for that much everyone's going to go well yeah he's worth it best player mm -hmm. best defensive player in football why would you not give it to him and but the the niners you asked a good question and i think that the answer on that is yeah I, I, I talked to, a, I went on a couple of channels, Niner channels, bringing up this Bosa contract and I, nobody, when I brought up to them, I'm like, so what about this Bosa deal? You guys haven't gotten it done after year three, not after four. Oh, it's fine. We got plenty of money to spend. We'll get it done. No problem. Easy. And now we stand where we are. And it's, and I think that they just didn't think he was going to ask for that much money. I think they thought somehow that he was going to give a player friendly deal based on what? Look at what his brother did. And why would he? He's earned the money. You know, did that that doesn't make any because he wants to go to the Super Bowl. He's the kind of guy that they do that thing, you know. He's the kind of you, you've seen this before, you know. He's the kind of guy that will value championships over one to get money. You know, okay. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Well, he doesn't have any championships, so yeah, I, I, oh, yeah exactly. I like I mean, we kind of learned this, and this is gonna sound funny now because of where both these players are in their careers, but uh the Eagles took care of Carson Wentz after year three, and he gave them a break. He did. I know mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like it now because he fell apart so fast, but at the time, that was a great contract for the Eagles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the Cowboys, not only did they wait until year four, they waited after year five because they franchise tagged him. Dak did not give them any kind of a break whatsoever because he's got no reason to. That's yeah. how this works. Yeah. I think that's a great comparison between those two. And you're absolutely right. The Cowboys thought, oh, we don't, we're, we don't want to get Wentz by Prescott. We don't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was to them, the opposite. They had a little bit of like what this Bosa situation was where they got left to where we got to pay. We don't really have a choice here of to not to pay. We're going to have to pay. It's just how far can we stretch this guy down, uh, you know, from where he's asking at to eventually get him there. And they, you know, Dak ended up coming away with a pretty good contract at that point from where he stood with it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, Scotty Mack, thank you for the four ninety nine. Hey guys, not sure if you talked about this earlier. I joined late. How did you guys grade the O-line last night? We have not talked about the O-line yet. Not really, anyway. So let's uh, do that now. How about that? Right. Yeah, let's dive into it. So what do you got on the offensive line overall? Another week where I think that we did 
our best stuff in pass protection versus run blocking, much like the previous week in just an overall fashion of things. Um, Cross wasn't great for his few snaps in pass protection. For what I, saw. I think he gave up uh, a sack to Gino, and he didn't quite look come. Just maybe getting back in the flow over there. Um, though there wasn't a lot of run running room to be had, there was a couple of snaps where some linemen stood out at points early on. Um, Damian Lewis put some good blocks on there. Uh, my eyes were drawn down to Maze Smith. And there was a couple reps in there with Evan Brown and Maze Smith, the Cowboys' first-round pick, who's really supposed to be known as this run wall. We gave it to him in the game, by the way, uh, going back and watching some of the All-22. The, the rest of the Cowboy line did their part to help out the run game, Brennan. But uh, Maze did not if, – if you end up going back and looking at Maze's PFF grade coming out of this game, it's it's not going to be good. I haven't looked at it, but I just watched the tape. It, he, he got pushed around a bit by the Seahawks' offensive line. But Brown included. Brown on some one-on-one blocks with Maze um, held up. Um, it wasn't consistent. Stuff just didn't have – you didn't have everybody on on point with it, right? You'd have two guys, three guys laying their blocks in the line, and then two other guys completely flub what they were doing, and then the play would be kind of just going nowhere. But um, it, it was it was good for the pass protection side of it. I continue to lean back and say I think this is going to be a team that does its best work in pass protection from an offensive line standpoint, not in a bad way, but this will probably just lead to a little bit more passing um, than you might naturally normally see with a Coach Carroll team. Because I don't know if they've got necessarily the run blockers on point to quite make it happen on the other end of the scale of things here. Um, Lucas looked pretty good. Backup-wise, Stone Foresight continues to be the guy that we talked about last week. He is he is what he is. You know, yeah. I, I mean, it is it is just is what it is. Um, nobody else was really super jumping out along the offensive line in the backup units to me. Some guys had some problems with uh, penalties, working a lot of push. Pass protection was pretty good. But I, I, I can't think of anybody that was, to me, you know that i mean even um the guy that got the most snaps for us anthony bradford tied for the most snaps in this game of anybody on the offensive line mm -hmm. he had a better grade than last week technically brendan right yeah i mean i would hope i would really hope <laughs> he beat four <laughs> he beat four on his path but it wasn't uh it wasn't i don't think uh way better than last week he continues to be a, a work in progress um as well but uh we're not getting the holes in the running game Early on, that may change. We get to the can we get to the regular season, but um, and look, having the backs we do, Brendan, maybe at least with Walker and Charbonnet, like he showed, maybe you only get like a good hole open for them once every four carries, but when it is, they'll bust off a 35 yarder. Yeah. So, it you know, we'll be back to the Sean Alexander days a little bit, but not you yeah. know, without the easy falls on the yeah. runs where he doesn't see a big play. Yeah, the a gap runs are not really going to be much this year, I don't think. I don't think that's going to work all that well for us. No, all the more reason I think that they've got to be creative in their rushing attack approach, and that includes those fly sweeps. Um, even if they're not going to all work initially, I think you've got to lean on them and make the defenses be tested by them and have to account for them pre-snap. And I don't think the teams have to necessarily do that in recent years to, with the Seahawks because of how little they've run the fly sweep and how little of a time they've had an actual guy there that could be a threat for the defense if he got the ball on those fly sweeps. Right. That, that's what I'm hoping to see, too. And it, I mean, it's hard to get a great gauge of it when we don't have two of our running backs that are probably going to be significant parts of this offense. But it just seems like the run blocking this year is just, it, it is what it is, kind of. Um, I, I don't think Bradford's going to play this year. And if he has to play, I don't think he'll play particularly well. It's just too early. Uh, agreed. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have some upside to develop down the road, but it, Haynes is way more further along from a technical standpoint. And the kid's just, as we thought when he drafted, 
Um, he is raw. He's very gifted, but he is still very, very. He only played what he played thirteen games in college. I think you said. I think he started sixteen or seventeen or 16, something. Sixteen, seventeen and he games. Played so, eighteen. Yeah, young guy hasn't played a lot, so give him some time. Um, and yeah, the sack that Cross gave up was to uh, Sam Williams, who is awesome, and He's I good. think a guy who kind of beat up Cross in college a good amount because it was uh, that's Mississippi right. State SEC. and Old Miss, right? Yeah, yeah, SEC. That's right. Yeah, I, I love Williams coming. We love, I think we, we talked yeah, about we Williams. We love Williams coming out. So Very yeah, much. he was, he was a late round gem that uh, it's not surprising. He's done well. It was a legit matchup there for cross. Uh, receivers, receivers. So um, I feel like we've seen enough from JSN now. Don't need to see him next week. I think we're good. Put that boy, put it on ice. <laughs> you know, what I mean? put, put, put that six pack on ice. Yeah. That, that's the big one. But I mean, you, you did, I, I, I will admit you do see where people talked about the lack of top-end speed on that play, right? Because um, DK's scoring on that play, right? Yeah. I mean, this is where we go. He's going to be probably a slot at the next level, and I, maybe he can do certain stuff at certain times from certain formational packages from the outside. But his, his you know, he he's going to be a guy you're going to put from within the slot, and that's where he's going to do his work. And he's going to be tremendous from within it. The The, the modern way we need to change our thinking is to think, and this is where I think a lot of this is housed for some people, that slot can't be every bit as productive, every bit as prolific as the guys that are working on the outside. And that's proven to not be the case. Cooper Cup has led the league in receiving, taking the majority of his snaps from the slot. Justin Jefferson just led the league in receiving, if I'm not mistaken, getting the majority of his snaps from the slot. This is a new NFL. It's not the old school. Well, you've got to be in this one place. You know, it, it, no, that's stilted thinking. The new thinking is now there's a lot of three wide receiver sets being run. And those guys get open very easily from within that in that plane. And um, yeah, I mean, he's not going to have necessarily the, the game breaking speed over the top, but he's going to have enough speed. And when it all boils down to it at the end of the day, at this point, I I'm, my arrow is up on this guy potentially cracking a thousand yards when I would have said two months ago, no way he's going to get three or three months ago. There's not, he'll have 700 yards, 750. He's, he's not going to go over that, but I mean, look what he put up on just a, he's in there for a little bit, just barely in there. And already he's like 59 yards. He's going to be one of those guys, Brendan, you know, this is what these slot guys do. And cup does this to us too. You just, you're three, three, three quarters and you go and look at the box score and you're like five catches for 111. Yeah. Like when, how, when did he, well, there was the one, but then, okay. It's one of those quiet, just 111 that you don't really know, but it, the, indeed they're just that productive. Yeah. It's like an actor. You don't realize how many good things he was in until mm -hmm. you look at his IMDB page. Like uh, yeah. Tommy Lee Jones is a good yeah. example of that. Yeah. Those character actors that the guys that you sometimes just see him in maybe side roles rather than the lead, but they're not the lead. So he's like, well, I mean, but, but everything he's in, he makes better. Every time he's in every scene, he's got my eyes drawn to him and what he's doing and, or, or her, if it is an actress. And I, that's, that's what you get with these guys and that it doesn't, they don't need to be the lead. You know, we don't need the lead. Frankly, we got the DK and Tyler's. We got the guys that can do everything to take the top off the defense. Just fine. We need the guys inside. And what you do see on that route, Brendan, when you watch initially is that though that guy may catch up, Though eventually he may he track Jackson down at the one yard line after a 55 yard play. Jackson creates four yards of separation in the first 1.5 seconds of that route. That's the notable part. It ends up the guy ends up maybe catching up eventually. And yeah, but that's the notable part. And a, an amazing play, too. I don't know what you think, Brendan, on this. I'd be interested in what you hear on this. That's a that's a like a little kind of a crosser here they're running. 
right? right? And so you're running the first corner off, going off in the off coverage, and here he comes over on the crosser. What, what kind of twisted me a little bit on the play, though, was that the crosser went like this, and it got vertical. And, right. and Drew read it vertical. And I would, I would love to find out from Locke on that play if him and, him and JSN just read it the same way or he felt JSN take it to a vertical route. And so then he just locked right in, knew what he was going to do on that. But that was a – whatever it was, it was a tremendous adjustment or beautiful, um, uh, beautiful route set up by Waldron because so often the crosser just takes you out of bounds. We've seen Tyler do it a million times comes over on the crosser, catches it, and then his momentum just sort of takes him out of bounds after the catch. And with that, when you do take it to a vertical, especially if there's nobody over the top, you can really just kind of have a lot of space to work with then to kind of put the ball wherever you want from a leverage standpoint to, to the receiver. Yeah, yeah, that would be kind of interesting to find out if there was something like that going on there. But um, yeah, JSN, man, I mean, he's been the star of the offseason ever since we drafted him, basically. I, I can't think of anybody else who's been as good as he is. So I would love to, like you said, I mean, that was a crosser, but it got vertical. So that that's, uh, I, I want to see if that's in the regular season too, because Gino can make that throw. Absolutely, he can make it. And I, I'd love to see it if they've got that built in like that. It's a tremendous adjustment because it can take a play that goes from being just a maybe 20, 25 yarder to, uh, darn near housing it like he did yeah um okay so bobo you think bobo did enough to make the team yeah i don't know though carol carol was chewing his butt out on the sideline of that pi wasn't he what carol's yeah. i, I, I thought carol's was, gonna have a heart attack over there yeah, was I wasn't sure. it took me a while to figure out what he was mad about i'm still a little confused was, was it too. because he was jawing I, I, yeah, I mean, he was, I think he's been in, you know, Bobo's been hanging out with DK. And so DK has been telling him all the little tricks of the trade of how to like get in the guy's heads and make them, you know, instigate to where then they do, you know, they don't ever get the first guy to get the second guy verbally. So, you know, you say the same, you know, well, that's why you're a boom, boom. And the, and then the guy, you know, the ref turns around and the other guy says the thing, you know, in retaliation. Mm -hmm. um, I think probably Carol probably saw the first thing Bobo said to, to, to it, but it made me laugh because Carol is just, I mean, a day where things are going pretty well all across the board, preseason. Mm -hmm. Carol is absolutely in that midseason energy of always compete. But um, to answer your question, yeah, he's he's uh, he's done enough. Um, the, the the sluggo route, Brendan, again on the outside, um, again getting over the top. The guy's supposed to be slow. I mean, isn't everybody telling me he's slow? And everybody tell me he don't got enough speed? If he don't got enough speed, how is he in back to back weeks now taking the top off of defense? How is he, how is he accomplishing that? And it's not about that. Well, he has speed. It's, but it's not just speed that allows a guy to get open. And he's showing that last week, Brendan, he did it on a nasty, nasty release off the line, two steps off the line. Boom, boom, and he's free over the top today. That's a slant and go sluggos slant and go. So he gets the guy bought into him running the slant route and then just takes it right back over the top. And um, it's a beautifully run route. It uh, creates a ton of separation there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how you could keep him off the roster here. He also looked pretty good again on special teams. He was right behind the guy that got the pump block right there in the hip pocket behind him. He might've gotten if that guy hadn't gotten through quicker. Um, but I, I'm very encouraged by what I've seen from Bobo. And, uh, you know, hey, he even got the PI call. I mean, he got that to work in our favor, right? Like, Pete can get mad at it. I wonder if Pete goes back and thinks about that. And he's like, well, DK did kind of show him on that because 
he didn't get the penalty. It was on the other guy to keep the drive going, technically speaking. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I do think he'll make it. Some people are like saying, oh, he should be wide receiver four over Derek Young instead of wide receiver five. I, I don't feel like it matters that much when you're receiver four or receiver five. Like the yeah. thing to keep in mind is Bobo and Derek Young are very different players. So mm-hmm. I think your usage would be situational more than, oh, this guy's higher on the depth chart, so he has to play more. So I don't care about that. Yeah, I'm I'm not as uh, predisposed to caring about as much. I, I think too is it's there's some snap decision making that comes out of this game that I I, I can't quite get towards myself in all in, in certain ways like that where you know well, Drake Young has the bad drop with Gino, another draw kind of where he doesn't make a play later on the game, doesn't have a really good game overall, three targets, no catches, but it's his first game back, and the guy just was getting coming back from rehabbing from this near having to have the hernia surgery. I, I have to question if he's probably even still at 100%, to be honest with you. If not, maybe gutting through something he's going to eventually get surgery on. He's probably got some rust coming back on the field there where he's just gotten back into practice and flowing. You know, it's it's a single performance he played well for us last year. I, I think we got to put more than that together than just that. You know, it's very easy to kind of get stuck on these performances because that's all you got as a fan to see. But there's mini camps, practices, training camp, all that stuff, the OTAs, you know, there's all that time that there's all those, these battles have been going on. The coaches have been able to evaluate through that when it comes to this stuff where we haven't seen them for games and games, Brendan, and you and I just don't have enough to see off of, it's hard to come to those quick determinations like that from my standpoint. Yeah. People in this chat last night were being very negative on uh, Derek <laughs> yeah. Young and they were saying, oh, he's definitely gone. He's definitely going to get cut now. And I, I was like, guys, there's more value here than just a receiver. Mm. Derek Young does things that other players on this team can't do. He's uh he can play fullback. He's like Ben Skronik. He I agree. Special team stuff. He's a good blocker. Like yeah. there's more going on with Derek Young than just, oh, he he tries to run routes and catch the ball. So I don't know about you, but I personally think that Derek Young's roster spot is pretty much etched in stone as long as he stays healthy. And I don't think a couple of bad preseason plays can do anything to change that really. I believe it is etched in stone, like you do as well for the most part. Um, and I also believe that it's the right decision from the coaching staff because, like you say, I think this guy's a lot better than he showed last night. And uh, he played a lot last year through the back half of the schedule. You, when you lost Marquise Goodwin, this was the guy that had to step up because there was no Eskridge. And he played that role. He did the dirty work. He also had some moments where he flashed. And last night for those bad moments that there, there was another moment he ran up the sideline on a nine route. And he was technically there and free and open at that point. What was going on was Holton Allers was doing a good job of managing the game there where he was going to throw this ball in a place where there was just a chance for maybe Derek to get it, but he wanted to make sure the safety closing in over the top wasn't going to go get it either. And so what ended up happening is the ball got thrown four yards out of bounds and there was no chance Derek could make a play on it. But Derek did get open on that and he's he does have some speed. He does have some explosiveness. He can do that fly sweep stuff. You and I talked about where there's, well, this guy can't do it. That guy can't do it. You don't have a lot of guys. I think who can do that fly sweep right down the roster. You don't, you have McIntosh Eskridge. And I think you got Derek young are the three main guys who can probably run that. You could probably in a pinch, try to do a little bit of Charbonnet or some of these other guys, but those are the three guys. One of those three is probably, or JSN, but those are the three guys you're probably running that with the most throughout this year, if they're healthy. And so that's another place where he provides that asset from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think both those guys are locked in. And I believe both guys, I, I think our receiver room is pretty well decided at this point. Um, maybe if Bobo has a really bad game, he could lose his ground he's made up. But even then, I don't think so. He's shown some pretty real potential here. This is not just a 
practice squad guy. This is not a uh, who is the really old receiver we had that people always talked about. We from Hawaii or something. And oh, um, the twenty eight, the thirty two year old uh, rookie or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I know you're talking about. Yeah, people got caught up on that guy for a long time. I had yeah, to this, keep, I had to yeah, keep this, putting putting pins and balloons on that one. Yeah. This, this is more real than anything he ever did for sure. Hundred uh, percent. Ursua. There we go. Yeah, John, John Ursua. And uh, Ursula was a what, five five nine guy with super short arms, you know, who was going to be limited into the slot. I mean, you're right. Bobo's done stuff that's completely different where he's out there doing it. And he's doing it kind of with the starters, too, from our standpoint. I know the Cowboys weren't running their starters or anything, but like we're not having this guy come in with the third stringers on third stringers and he's beating up on them. You know, he's doing this for the most part at the front end on the depth chart as far as how they're playing them here. Um, but it's been legitimate. And this is also, let's remember the scrimmage. As I say with this stuff, it's all a buildup of, of rookie OTAs, OTAs, you know, mini camps, training camps, scrimmage game, preseason games. Now you got your determination. And who led the, who led the team in catches and yards of the scrimmage game? Who caught a touchdown at the end from Drew Locke to cap off that scrimmage game? Jake Bobo. And he's been he's been a, a notable name that's out there. I, I think that there's really no way the team isn't going to be able to you know keep him on. And the fact that he's had this development to me, Brendan, where he's winning on the outside, he's not winning just from the slot like we thought was only going to be the way he could do it, which would have limited his pathway to making this team. You can only play slot and be a special teams guy. That's all we can get out of you. Now you can look at this guy and go, well, maybe we can put him at times on the outside and feel good in that respect of things. And um, you know, I love I love the thought process of it. He's such a big guy too. You get you like the thought of time being able to put some of these receivers like tie you know DK and him out there and in run blocking situations. You know, yeah. where you're just, <laughs> you're just you're just big. You're just bullying guys on the outside. You know, especially on those outside runs. Uh, Tyshawn Lindsay, you think he made the practice mm. squad last night? He was fun, wasn't he? Yeah, I returns thought he was kicks fun. too. Returns some yeah. punts. Uh, I think he's done enough to. At least we're, we're going to try to put him on the practice squad. Maybe he doesn't get there. He probably will. But um, obviously we can't carry six receivers, so that's not really a possibility. But do you think there's enough to keep him around as a practice squad guy? I think we keep three practice squad receivers. Yeah. Agreed on that? Yeah. La I have Landers, Lindsey, and Thompson. But Thompson got hurt. Thompson might have gotten a – Yeah. If he if that injury is serious, then I think Aesop Winston because it seems like there's a level of comfort with Aesop the way uh, the quarterbacks talk about him. Yeah, well, Hall certainly didn't impress last night, so I'll he take Aesop. That's about it. Yeah, I mean, other than the block, but boy, as a receiver, he didn't. He yeah. sold on allers on that one route. Like he mm. totally just he had decided he the ball wasn't coming his way and just completely you know sold on him. Mm. But he yeah, I would. To, he was trying to Brandon Lloyd it. He was trying to do the one handed. I, I guess it just kind of looked like he was just like, it's not coming. It's not coming. Oh, oh no, it's here. <laughs> like, dude, the ball might come your way. You're a receiver. You'd be looking for it, you know? And Allers like had this look too. They went over to Allers and he's just like, he's <sighs> <laughs> just, I could read what he was thinking in his mind. Um, I agree with you though, as the, I think the three I go to is Landers, Tyjon and um, Thompson. And I think Thompson is a guy they like a lot. Who's if he's the injury, if he's going to come back relatively soon off of that, they'll probably lean very, very much to him as much as anybody. Um, but Tyjon on the punt return game, to your point with that, I, I think he looked as fluid doing that as I've seen in recent history here from anybody else back there. And uh, that's not going to allow him to become an active guy on the roster here, Brennan. But it is 
something that may be useful to have in the background in the practice squad if it does become a bit of an issue. We have DJ Dallas back there again, letting puns sail 15 yards over his head or drop 10 yards in front of him and then roll 15 yards back as he did last year a couple of different times. I, I don't want to go that route with it, but as we saw with Ugabuki last year, you know, when you did decide to keep it off active roster space for just this special teams guy in this role, it you did get the benefits of that. Mm-hmm. He was good yeah. though, mm-hmm. and a good so, receiver. He, he he did a good yeah. job on on the in the as a pass catcher too. Yeah, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world catching passes from uh, Tim Tebow back there. So no, no, not although at all. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to hate on him because he did play well, but. You got to admit, there's not a lot of zip on that. There's not a lot of mustard on that hot dog. It's look, we're we're lefties, okay? Us lefties are cerebral, and you know we have to be pinpoint in our accuracy. We're not known for having strong arms, you know. It's not a lot of lefty pitchers in baseball. They're known for being power pitchers, you know. We're gonna loop in that curveball. We're gonna change it up a little bit, okay? We're gonna have a lot of moxie, okay? We're gonna have a lot of grit. And, uh, you know, make it happen. <laughs> That's the way it works. And he's, yeah. he's cut, he's cut from my cloth. So I, I love him, but you're right. No, he's not, uh, there's no future here with him. I think you were right when you said this earlier that, uh, you see him as a guy that, you know, third string practice squad guy. I think he has firmly taken the bull by those particular horns. And that that's that's where he's going to be probably at. And that's a good thing to have, as we saw at the Niners last year. I'm not saying I want him to start, but you do want to have, you know, the familiarity if, if something does go to hell in a handbag, somebody you can call upon that's at least familiar and can, I like at least that guy. If I'm going to bring the third guy in, Brennan, I want the mobility in the wheels. You know, I can manufacture some stuff around him with his wheels. And at that point, if I can't tap into the arm, which it's always going to be hard with the third stringer to tap into arm stuff, but the wheels are nice. Yeah. I, I will say that if a circumstance ever came up where we needed the third string QB to play, I know Holton has been fun to watch, but I would much rather have somebody like a Sean Mannion out there. So if mm. you're thinking about Allers as just a practice squad guy, okay. Maybe I mean, there's got to be some benefit there too, where when you're playing a mobile quarterback, you get to practice against a mobile quarterback. Mm-hmm. So that helps too. But if you're talking about him actually getting into a game against an NFL defense, that's like, like uh, I would rather have like, a Jake Browning, Sean Mannion type, honestly. I mean, maybe for me, I think they're probably all going to give you pretty close to the same performative level when it's all said and done at the end of the day. And he is a rookie. So, you know, it's a guy that, uh, you know, where he is now to where he'll be in a year or two years down the line, maybe potentially is also in a bit of a different place too. Whereas a guy like Mannion has played in like five, six, seven years, something like that. Um, That is a bit of a difference too. And I would expect this kid to be a little bit rough in certain points being so young. Uh, by the way, I think somebody donated five memberships to my channel, but Streamlabs will not show me who. So whoever it was, thank you very much. And congratulations to Jimmy John, Arrows, Derek Young, Burner, uh, Braden Larson, and Derpy Squid on your memberships. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Appreciate sorry that Streamlabs won't tell me who you were. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Chase Carey, thank you for the 999. Hey guys, what do you think about Locke as the future QB of the future? Watching him play the last two weeks gives me more confidence if something happens to Gino. Have a great guys. Have a great day, guys, I think. Thank you, Chase. Mm -hmm. So, contractually, this is hard because, um, 
he's only got a one-year deal, and if he plays really well this preseason, somebody out there is going to say, let's at least get him here to give him a chance to start. He will probably not have a chance to start here unless Gino doesn't play well. Yeah, I uh, I agree. It's it's probably not going to happen here. I'm, uh, to try to go really far forward on this chase and think it through a little bit because Brendan's really touches on the big part here. You you signed him to the $4 million deal with a $3 million incentive package. So it's a $7 million contract if he was to hit his incentives because you have Gino on a $10 million deal on him counting on the cap this year. Next year, the cap cost for Gino is going to rise to well over $30 million. I don't know if the team is going to be as suited to be able to pay a backup quarterback substantial money I'm, I'm not saying it's a lot but substantially past let's say a, a rookie deal on a, a rookie on a rookie contract or a guy on a veteran minimum deal the only way for drew lock to remain here into the future beyond this season i think is going to have to be him being willing to take that vet minimum deal perhaps with incentives if something does go weird for him to come on the to get on the football field i will say this brendan this year in a year where yeah there were some quarterbacks at the front end that were going to go in this last draft it was not a big market where there were a lot of available quarterbacks out there this past year and the market seemed to be pretty tepid for drew lock if he doesn't play much this year gino starts again through the year and we go into next year's draft with that amount of guys in that draft with that amount of guys brendan in the draft from the second to the fourth round area that are maybe in a similar outlook of their view for where drew is and his play you know like it's kind of apples for apples from the organization standpoint is there really going to be a hotter market for him out there next year um if he plays this well in the preseason because remember he did not play well in the preseason last year not really anyway mm -hmm. uh, he played two games one of them was bad one of them was okay um then maybe like the thing is, it, it it's just like if you're Tampa Bay or something and you've got this mess with Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask and you go into next year and you're still sitting on that QB room, don't you want to inject Drew Locke in there if he has a good preseason and you've got his former QB coach as your offensive coordinator? Like, that's, what I, that's why I would have thought they would have done that last. The former QB coach would have said to him, don't pay attention to that preseason performance. He was tearing it up in camp. It was just because he got the the vid, and it was that that caused him to then push because he had he had gotten sick the prior week. You know, here's the real story behind what happened with that. Don't go with Baker Mayfield. By God, don't do that. We played that guy in week 17 last year. He's not your answer for you. But instead, it would seem that guy didn't pound the table that very hard, or he doesn't have a very strong voice in that room. One of the two. And is that voice going to, you know, so I'm saying he's not going to get any either his voice. I don't think gets any stronger one year out, but then also they don't seem to really have that belief on Drew. Remember these teams do have their evaluations on these quarterbacks coming out. And even if there is some new data to it, sometimes, especially if the quarterbacks failed and it's kind of a confirmation bias, if you as Tampa Bay had scouted Drew Locke and to come to the determination that he had some fatal turnover flaw to his game, let's say. And then now you've watched him through the early part of his career and where he is now in Seattle, you would still be at that point of a confirmation bias going back to your scouting report saying, yeah, we were right. We were true. We were on it with this one. So what's changed? Why would we look at him? Um, and it's not Drew's fault because he just doesn't have the time on the field to overturn that narrative. Um, and he might not this year. As I, would, I don't think I don't think three preseason games, especially this one where he was in for just a couple drives before he got injured. I mean, how much he plays next week with where that that knee is. Um I still don't think he's going to have quite enough on that resume. And it's really, I think, as much the, these drafts impact this, Brendan, as we've seen, right? The drafts will impact this. If you have a draft that's got that many quarterbacks, it will affect then the free agent market and and the jobs available. Who's, you know, because teams want to tend to want to go to the young guys.
Yeah, I, I the the other element to me is that this year, upcoming draft looks so good for quarterbacks. It wouldn't shock me if we decided, okay, we can give five million to Locke, or we can give less than a million to some third round, fourth round quarterback. Bingo. Like I, I, I really just feel like even if Locke doesn't force his way out via getting a big deal from another team, we might move on anyway. I don't know. I, I, I don't think the lock is the QB of the future thing is likely to work out, but um, I'm not against it necessarily. I, I do think he's shown some stuff. I'm not against it either. I can, I completely can see him taking that step. Gino took forward and he is younger than Gino. Gino did has us in that 10 year period to kind of grow in his game. Drew's had like that year and a half period since he last started there in Denver. Uh, I think he absolutely has the skills to get it done in this league. And, and there's not a lot of deficiencies he's got in his game, things holding him back necessarily if he can clean up this kind of turnover stuff. So uh, if they can keep him into a place of not needing to have to pay him a substantial money as a backup into the future beyond this year, I, I think it could, it could very possibly happen where that ends up rearing itself as a possibility. But if he's going to be still wanting to get a little bit paid like a upper tier backup in the league, that's going to be hard to do when the Geno's money starts to kick in, I think. Uh, John, thank you for the $20 Canadian. And people in the chat were telling me that you were the one who donated the memberships as well. So thank you, John. On John's both fronts. In the house. What's up, mm -hmm. Johnny? Wasn't a Bobo fan before, but I am now. 100 Go Hawks. Mm -hmm. You're not the only one. Yeah, uh, he's he's a guy I've liked. Um even back to the drafting process, there was just something about the way he ran his routes at UCLA that early on, I never was going to look at as a guy as a third or fourth round guy like that, but a guy you get in the fifth round maybe that you know uh, could give you an ability to separate on routes even though he's not doing it from just traditionally being explosive and fast. Um, and the hands were legitimate on tape. You know, He can catch that ball out from any angle away from his body. We haven't had to see that quite yet or early on. That's another part of his game that people will be able to see here eventually. So on top of, I think he could be a guy down in the red zone that you can use in that way targeted. I mean, UCLA did like mad last year, John, where they'd have him go down there and run an option route and feel the leverage of the corner run the leverage off wherever the corner was running it. And then he didn't even need to be fast or explosive at that point. So long, the quarterback DTR would just throw it out away from his body, away from the leverage on the backside. And bingo, bam, it was always, it was open. They must have had like five, six touchdown catches like that last last year um, with UCLA. And so that's another part of that you're going to see from his game on top of this, the hands that hasn't yet really come into play yet. Because um, he's been so wide open on some of these plays. He's just been sort of like, you know, nestling it in like a little baby when he's catching it and so uh that part will show up too john you're going to like him more and more with it and the, the kid can play the kid can play and we talked about those joe, joe jervish's comps last week brennan I, I think they're looking more and more apt by mm -hmm. the game that seems to be the best comparison you can make and again there aren't a lot of players that play like bobo in nfl history i feel like so it's hard to find a really good comparison yeah it, it's not it's not easy there, there is not a lot of these kind of guys, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, anything else that stood out to you offensively? No, I think it was – I think, you know, Disley made a catch, Fant made a catch. Those guys are so steady for us. We forget about those three tight ends down there, but they're mm -hmm. going to be such a – just a, you know, just a nice boring – nor you know they're they're like the in the in a song you know they're that drum beat that's going through the whole beat of the song right just it's not doing anything flashy there ain't no you know 
but it's just it's always going keeping the pump and the rhythm of the game of the of the song kind of going the tight ends are a little bit like that for me and it was good to see those guys just even just a little bit it's a little tiny bit just good to see especially the fan just getting back to that injury um looking a little bit better but uh no i think we uh i think we covered offensively where uh those that those guys that stood out and who didn't yeah um uh, one thing I would say real quick is that I'm kind of into Griffin A. Bear. I really hope he makes this practice mm. squad. There's something interesting there. Like he's too small to really play tight end in the NFL, but he could be like a fullback, Hollister, Jacob Hollister type maybe. He's, I think he's very interesting in that capacity. If you have to make the choice between him or Tyler Mabry, though. I mean, Mabry's been here a while and he's kind of steady. He's okay, but... I, I mean, I actually did a practice squad projection today where we kept both, but oh, okay. if I had to choose, I think a bear might be a little more interesting because I mean, maybe he's just a guy, right? Uh, he is. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, or, or you, 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 he's a little more of an unknown factor. Um, uh, and I have a hard time with that last name, by the way, because it's, there's this guy when I was growing up, New Orleans quarterback and it was Bobby a bear. Yeah. And then, but then you get Herbert's. And so it's like I end up like splitting the difference whenever I say the name. <laughs> I, never, I can't pick either side, either lane with it. Uh, I'm down to check him out. He looked pretty good in this game. I like the fullback potential option. There's some some looks I've seen throughout the preseason at times with NFL teams going back to some kind of taking the tight end movement into the fullback look, especially with the two wide receivers, you know, and when they're in two tight ends. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I think there's some room for that to, to have some effectiveness in the running game in that way. It's nice because when you bring that tight end in there, you have that fullback in that spot. It's like when stuff goes wrong on the blocking, I mean, that's what those fullbacks kind of did is that if you had a guy mess up and get into the backfield and get you quick penetration, you had this safety valve as a fullback where, yeah, he could get into the hole and maybe root the linebacker out. But if there was penetration, he could neutralize that penetration until the running back could get through it. And then the running back had to deal with that linebacker that he was pre-ascribed to have to deal with, but he was dealing with it in the hole at that point. And mm -hmm. so there's some nice points to having the, those kind of guys back there like mm -hmm. that. Um, didn't see a, a ton enough off him to have a real strong opinion one way or another with them, but I'm, I'm open to it. When it comes to practice squad, having 16 players now, having interesting guys and unique guys with their skill sets, like a Ty John Lindsay. You know, it's like, well, he's got the punt return, and maybe there's something here with that. So I'm, I'm open to it. Mm -hmm. uh, the Snail, thank you for the $10 dono. Here's the real question. Would you take a first for Geno at the end of the year keep lock draft another quarterback or take another retread and try and start flipping quarterbacks i'm assuming I, that gino had to play quite well to be worth a first round pick yeah i mean we're, we're talking about gino even bettering what he did last year at that point if if that's the kind of season he's going to have um if he does that i don't see any reason why i would want to move gino i mean he's kind of the ideal at that point for what you want in your quarterback other than maybe he's a little bit older um but he's a guy that gets it he's a leader he's shown a willingness to not have to take the major market deals at the top tippity top um which i'm if he's done it before he'll do that again especially after now he's actually been paid so i i like that um, my, my feeling on the way this yacht should go with this going in the future is like, we're anticipating drew lock's not going to want to take a vet minimum deal. He probably moves on after this season. If he takes the vet minimum deal. Great. You can sign me up to that. If not, we have a draft loaded up with quarterbacks that are going to go in the realm from the early second to the late fourth. And by what I mean by that, Brendan, of course, with this, you know, what I mean by the, the audience L last few years, you've probably seen over that realm on average, maybe three, four quarterbacks taken from that period second through the fourth round, if you go 2020, 21, 22, okay, there should be about like 12 
or 13 taken in that realm. And so why not go back to the old Russell Wilson-like approach that we had before where you have Geno in place, you go look at the second or third rounder at that point guy, and then that guy either becomes your quarterback of the future or an asset that you build in your building who when he comes and he fully matures and he's ready to start and if Geno's still rolling, great, you stay with Geno, you flip that kid for multiple first-round picks and you keep it going. This is where John Schneider came from with the Green Bay Packers. They did that in the 90s over and over again. They didn't get a first-round pick every time, but they would always do this developmental thing with a quarterback while they had Favre, and then they would spit him out to somebody else and and, and get something. And uh, that's what I think Schneider would like to do ideally. He's just not been in a position because of how weak the roster has been in recent times and recent years to be able to pull that off. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I I don't know. I feel like if you if you think that you have the quarterback, whatever your definition of the quarterback is, you don't really ever trade him. There's never mm. a scenario where you're like, oh, we love this guy. We think he's perfect, but we're going to trade him. No, yeah. that that's what you fight for sometimes for decades to find. Mm-hmm. I don't think you find that and then go, ah, oh, let's uh, beat it. We got this manna from heaven. We're just going to spit it out. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I it's this is what you're this is what's so hard to find. This is what so many teams fail at over and over again. Think about the the Cardinals going from Josh Rosen one year. No, nope, that is not it. We spent a first rounder on him. Okay, now we'll go with the first overall pick on Kyler Murray. We don't like him, but we'll give him money now. But we don't really like him. But you know that's where you'll end up in yourself. I think if you start going down that path too much of the asset based of well, we can move this quarterback and build assets from this, and then we keep the assets here on this. I get where you're going with it, Stanley, and I, I appreciate that part of it. But I would say, yeah, if you got, like Brent said, you got your guy in the house, then you don't look anywhere else. You know, you're, you realize you, you got lucky. Okay, so now let's flip on over to the defensive side of the ball. Talk about the guys on that side for a little bit here. So kind of, well, let's start with the big picture. What was your big picture takeaway from this uh, defense? A uh, big picture is that the uh, running game overall was good at the end of the day in, in total. Um, it, you know, it it did have its moments of that where it was a little bit up and down and it still hasn't, there, there's still some worries about that, that, that a gap, those, the zero tech. I mean, it still remains a place where, you know, I look to the cut down day or a trade deadline deal and go, please, John, get something else down there. Cause I think you're going to need a little bit more beef down there. Like that old commercial, you know, where's the beef? <laughs> and uh, that's where I feel like we're a little bit down there right now with. So I, I, I'm a little worried. They did a good job overall, though. There wasn't any huge back-breaking plays that were bro- broken out. And for the most part, you did hold it down pretty good. Um, it was pretty consistent from that standpoint. That was the part I was really locking into. Um, they were running such vanilla coverages on the back end. I wouldn't be surprised if in this game, Brandon, we ran cover three 70% of the time if we were to f- come find that out. I mean, that's what it felt like to me. And so you weren't making it hard on the quarterbacks of the Cowboys to read and figure out what you were doing. And so you allowed some passing yards in the game at times because of that. The good news is the pass rush still seemed to show up pretty well for an, for another straight week overall throughout the whole game, not just in this one part of the game, but you could see the splashes kind of throughout with that. Uh, the tackling was pretty good, I thought, overall. A couple of missed moments like Jarek Reed coming up on Deuce Vaughn down at the goal line and trying to tackle him by his head. But <laughs> That uh, other than that, it was pretty solid with that. I thought it was a good, def- it was a great 14 points. It's a great defensive effort overall. Um, and uh, I, I got to say, there wasn't as much hitting as last week, but tackling was good. Running was held down pretty good. And I think the coverage stuff will get better when you get more exotic with your coverages like you were last year, right? You weren't running cover three seventy percent of the time last year, but 35%. So yeah. I think that'll make a difference on it too. 
Right. Um, the a couple things that stood out to me, like you said, defensive line wasn't great in this game, but I do feel like Miles Adams probably locked up his roster spot now. Mm-hmm. Agree. We saw some nice things from him. I liked what I saw there. Yeah. Um, like like um, line linebacker wise, I thought Devin Bush played pretty good again. Not as standout as the previous week, but he did his thing. I think he yeah. did fine. Like what I see from Devin Bush. Um, Mafe. I mean, that's got to be the defensive version of JSN here, right? Like, mm. if JSN's been the star of the offseason, Mafe's like the defensive star in terms of how far he's come, right? Yeah, feels like he's grown two inches, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> when you maybe it's just getting the size that he's getting to him or whatever, but uh, he's, yeah, he's been your star, I think, defensively here through the first two preseason games. And I mean, he is doing everything. He's the complete show out there, Brendan. He's he's stopping the run uh, like mad, and he is now creating really quick pressure. Not just quick, creating pressure, creating quick pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I, I'm thinking. I'm not going to say the sky's the limit. He's never going to be a Miles Garrett, but he could be like he could be a double digit sack guy on top of his good run defense. I think. Yeah, I think that was where I was trying to get to on my thought of it too when when trying to put that to the to the chat last night on explaining where his upside is because it's well everything always seems to have to be in extremes when we talk about this stuff, Brendan. You know, guy's good or he's trash or he's great or he's average. You know, and it's well, what's the below the you know take below the Miles Garrett, below Micah Parsons, below the the TJ Watt line to the next level below, and that's this guy's upside, and he looks very likely to go and reach that right now. And that's that a great overall player who's going to be able to give you double digit sacks and play the run. I believe him to be Brendan beyond what he does as a pass rusher, which I think will be a good pass rusher. This to me is a guy that's going to be a top 10 edge run defender in this league. When we get those advanced metrics that always come out in that, in that aspect of things, you're going to see his name up on that side sooner than later. Um, on top of what he brings as a double digit sack guy, that is incredible value. That's way more value than Frank Clark ever gave you as a player at that point mm-hmm. i agree and frank clark was good for us so that that should tell you something yeah frank was never this good against the run though he wasn't in the vicinity mm-hmm. of being this good against the run mm-hmm. um i thought Derek hall got pushed around a little bit early but he did rally to have that his first uh, preseason sack so good to see i'm not expecting a huge year out of Derek hall like uh, there was this thing, apparently KJ Wright went up to Derek Hall in <laughs> training camp and said, he's, you he's could win defensive up. rookie of the year. And apparently even Derek Hall was like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, well, KJ knows some KJ knows confidence is a big part of this too. And he's, he's trying to get the kid to believe it. You know, you, you sometimes to attain it, you got to believe it. And if you think, you know, I mean, uh, that was the whole thing with Schneider. He would reference about bringing guys in drafted in the Legion of Boom era to try to, you know, fill in for other guys or compete with other guys is that they're just sort of looking in awe and like, you're good enough to be here. You can do this. You know, let's go. You got this in you. Um, and Derek Hall is a guy. I don't know if he can get to be your defensive rookie of the year, Brennan. I do think he can be effective for you. And I think he can give you unusual pressure production for a young first uh, second round pick. I did uh, the study on the last six years, 15 players, second round, Brendan, no more than four sacks a year was the top at the top end. Nobody was really bringing any kind of productivity. He could, Brendan, because the ways he's winning, he creates the pressure last week off of those, those three fundamental ways he went to college, the bull rush, the long, the long arm, and then the jab step inside. That was the three ways he went in college. And so you go, okay, well, those were his go-to. 
And a lot of go-to moves get shut down then at the NFL level, where now you're exposed, the go-to doesn't work, what do you got to go to now? Last week, jab step inside twice, and that's how he created two of his pressures last week. This game, it was the long-arm bull rush that he slid off of and done. The fact that that's translating off of the college level to me like this early on gives me some, some moderate optimism here that we might actually see a little bit of productivity from him as a pass rusher. And I'll tell you this, Steve Brandon, I don't know. It's not going to be easy right now for Daryl Taylor to potentially be getting on this football field this upcoming season if everybody's healthy. Yeah, I, I imagine they'll find a niche for him. I mean, he... Very Although this injury, I'll tell you, this injury could really upset things. Like, who knows how that's affected his ability to be 100% by week one. Well, apparently, uh, Carroll said he expects him to be back this week, though, so. We'll, we'll see, see with it. And I'm sure you're right. I mean, it's they're going to try to they're going to try to give him some run and they're not going to just, you know, sit him. But I, uh, Hall's been, I think, very impressive to them. He's come on since they put the pads on. You keep hearing a little bit more about his name coming to the forefront the second that it got to that. And that makes sense because he is just so big and physical and, uh, you know, and overwhelming in that aspect of things. Even in a game like this that has big, strong, overwhelming players, he's kind of a cut above in that respect. That's why KJ got so hyped on him, I think. Um, also want to talk about a guy who I think probably uh, secured his roster spot yesterday in Tyreek Smith. Ooh. He was a guy who I was very down on after the hip injuries. I thought, like, I, I don't know if you come back from that as a pass rusher having two bad hips because both of his hips had been injured at that point. Looks like we don't have to worry about it, though. Looks like he is back. He's making plays against the run and the pass. He's making plays on special teams. So we've got five edge guys right now who seem like they're ready to at least play a little bit. I'm not going to go crazy with it, but they both seem like they're ready to They all seem like they're ready to play. Uh, they certainly do. And you and I both thought that uh, Tyreek Smith's game last week in which he wasn't graded well by PFF, but we both thought that he actually outplayed that grade and looked mm -hmm. better than, than he did get. And it was good to see this week that, in, that you know, kind of some of that flash you saw from last week actually kind of now shows up in a register of him making plays and it showing up a little more. I thought he was tremendous. Um, he was strong against the run, set the edge. He was active as a pass rusher. He showed a really high motor throughout this game. Um, he created some, also some, some, some quick pressure at points. You know, he, he was like, just filled up his stat line all the way across. If you look at it, it's like every, everywhere he was kind of having an effect with it. Guy has got some talent, man. And uh, I, I went back and looked it up. I had a stat where, you know, 20% was his pass rush win rate in college in his final year. And uh, that was right in line with guys like Boye Mafia and all of the best pass rushers that came in that draft, including Hutchinson and Jabo and all those guys. And some of them, it was better than them. And that's doing that at Ohio State. That's doing that at the Big Ten. And so uh, he's a guy that offers some unusual talent for being that he was a six-round grade that you got him in. It's a guy that just the light never went fully on at Ohio State like they thought it was going to. Doesn't mean the light doesn't eventually turn on, you know? It just means he's got that dimmer switch. So it's a slow, it's a slow rise, you know? That's all. It's a slow rise. But, uh, hey, man, five deep on the edge, five deep of edge that you feel good about, really good about, uh, five deep of the edge where it's mostly guys on rookie deals that are going to be very cheap for the foreseeable future. Good mm -hmm. situation for the Seahawks to find themselves in. Yeah. And I did say five deep, not six deep, which means Levi Bell, who had another very good game and was graded extremely well by PFF, is a guy I just cannot find room for. Um, can you see it any other way? Highest graded defender by PFF in this grade was Levi Bell. Um, I can't see it myself. Really good to see him, and, and maybe you won't be able to sneak him onto the practice squad if he comes out again. You're going to get some more run in this game three, and I've said with this guy to make the roster, he's got to 
blow it up in all three of these games, basically, you know, make it to where the coaches just almost can't, you know, deny it. But Tyreek Smith coming forward like he is, and with the more natural gifts I think Tyreek Smith offers, that's probably going to overwhelm, like kind of the upside of Tyreek overwhelms the floor of Levi Bell is my feeling. I think the coaching staff would love to still get him on the practice squad. No doubt he's earned his way there. Can he get there in a league that values pass rushers and especially young, cheap pass rushers? That might be a tall task, especially he goes out and balls out again here in week in the week three game. Yeah, I think you have to wave him and live with the results. I, I I can't see any of these guys getting let go for Levi Bell. What you could do is you could only carry like four cornerbacks or nine offensive linemen. You could do something like that, but when are you ever going to use six edge rushers in a season? Unless it's just the season from hell and everybody gets hurt. Like, I'm sorry, you're just never going to use six edge rushers. So I, I, I can't do it. It always, it always does feel, doesn't it? Not that if we're talking about a position that there always does tend to be a guy walking on the street who's, you know, functional as a pass rusher. If you just need him to come in and run some pass rush reps, even if it's one of those guys that's 34, 35, right at the end of their career. You can always kind of go find those guys out on the street, it feels like. And and so I would, to your point on that, I would roll with what we got. And I would try to get him on the practice squad, but I, I wouldn't roll with six. Uh, no. Yeah, but uh, good for uh, Levi Bell, by the way. That uh, XFL, USFL pipeline to the NFL thing is actually working. A lot of these guys um, that have come over from those leagues look very good in the uh, – very much better than expected, I think, in the NFL because of that uh, pipeline. It's the developmental aspect of things. Call it, you know, NBA's got its minor leagues, baseball's got its minor leagues, football doesn't have a minor leagues, and so you you don't have guys that are able to continue to work on their games, and you sometimes can only really get better at in playing in live action games, and that that's the only way to can you know kind of improve and get better. Practice can only take you kind of so far. So it's it's great that these leagues are going, Brendan, because what it's going to mean for the ultimately for the NFL is a better product on the field, more deeper teams, um, more you know, guys that are well rounded in their skill set um, to be better football players. Okay, so one of the negatives from last night's game, one of the not so great things, I think, one of the guys who got picked on a little bit on the defense, in my view, was uh, linebacker. Patrick O'Connell. Now the good news is he's like the ninth string linebacker. He's not making this team. Mm. I don't even, I, I think he'll be lucky to make the practice squad. So that's, that's kind of whatever. Did you kind of see the same thing though? It felt like his zone drops were not good. Yeah. Zone drops weren't great. I, I never really kind of got really in on the tape with him coming out of Montana state. Um, just okay. did a lot of blitzing and there wasn't a lot else that you had to go off of with him in his game, to my opinion of it. And I know he had a couple of picks or something like that, but yeah, he, he did not look comfortable in coverage at all. But um, that gets us to the secondary. And there were some guys who did not play so good in our secondary. And unlike Patrick O'Connell, this may matter. Um, the guy who probably had the roughest night and turned the most Seahawks fans in my stream against him was uh, <laughs> Mike Jackson. Yeah, uh, Mike Jackson in the first quarter got beat three times, got beat for a long play where he also committed P.I. and still allowed the catch, got beat on fourth down, and I think he got beat on a third down. Um, now, I'm, I'm definitely going to push back hard against the people out there who think we need to cut this guy now or something. Right. Because I, I don't think that's how you do business in the NFL. That's not a good way to go about things. But 
Let, let's talk about the game that he did have, which was certainly not very good. What, what did you? What are you taking away here? Yeah, it wasn't a good game, so I'm not going to fully explain. I'm not going to excuse him and say that you know, well, it's not his fault. This is you know, there's there's the fault there that lies with him a little bit. Um, first off, there's three real main plays that stand out to me. You mentioned the I don't know which ones was the which on the the first downs he caused, but first one on the go route, the Seahawks bring Mike Jackson up into press. And if I'm going to bring a guy up in the press who's a six foot three cornerback who's not going to necessarily be able to flip his hips as fast as a six foot five eleven guy, and he's got long arms, I'm going to typically ask that guy to press. I'm going to say what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to get your hands on the receiver, slow him down a little bit, so that you can then get yourself into a position to be able to again stay on top potentially of him, get your body positioning in the right way to stay on that top point. Instead. Jackson gives him a free release and then just tries to just flip his hips and run with the guy, which put him in a scrambling point, which I don't quite understand why the coaching staff has Jackson doing that at that moment. Majority of the time you tend to have Jackson's playing in off coverage. So it didn't put him in a position for success on that play. And he got burnt. He did, but you didn't put him in a position for success either with the alignment and how you had him set up there. The comeback routes, this is the conundrum of cover three. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it when it comes to it. You have corners like Richard Sherman and Tariq Woolen who can play cover three or cover three man match situations and they can stay over the top and have the cerebral approach or in Woolen's case, the, the athletic dynamicism to be able to then go and jump those short routes when they see them. There's those guys that can do it, but they're kind of a rare breed. You're asked to play cover three. You have a coach who runs by his mantra of don't get beat deep. Okay, cover three, cover three, cover three. Now the guy does a comeback route on seven, eight, nine, ten 10 yard route. And you're in cover three, trying to stay over the top and you don't have safety help. What, what is that guy supposed to do there? Is he supposed to be inherently good enough to then get up and jump those routes off of bailing off that cover three approach? Because people treat it like Brendan Jackson, somehow playing man there off the snap, right? Like he's just getting beat purely. Remember he's being told it, they literally have the, what we call the bail technique. There's a whole technique for this. The Seahawks have this old patent technique. The technique is built around you as a corner off coverage snap. You flip your hips and you bounce backwards two, three yards, just like a baseball player. What they teach in baseball is to take a couple steps back when you're in the outfield, when on first contact on a baseball bat, a couple okay. steps back. That's what Carol does. And so this is, I, I bring this up to you and I ask you of what the guy's supposed to do on that, because there's going to be your Jacksons. There's going to be your Deshaun sheds. There's going to be your um, uh, Shaquille Griffins who, it's very hard for you to tell me to do this one thing to be prepared and safety for, but then also to have to come up here and jump this thing when I might tend to see it. Because if I jump it and I get beat deep, you're going to chew my butt, put me on the bench. That's a little bit of what those corners face, I think. And it's a bit of a unique position for corners in this system that I don't know a lot of fans always have the most sympathy for and how hard that is to do that. you you got to play two things at once, be safe and be aggressive. I don't, I don't know. What would, what would, where would you stand with it? Well, I, I think what you do is you draft Devin Witherspoon number five overall <laughs> in the draft. Like, like there are people out there who don't understand that pick because, oh, we had Mike Jackson and Mike Jackson's good. And I, I think last night's game, what you're talking about is why you still get a Devin Witherspoon. Mm -hmm. There's just a reservoir of talent and ability that he has that a guy like Jackson will just never be able to have. I think that you just have to get those prodigiously talented uh, cornerbacks. But um, I, 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 I do think that a huge part of this is having those guys out there. Neither guy was out there last night. 
So uh, hopefully that will uh, hopefully that will at least resolve that conflict in people's minds about like why do we get this guy if we already have good corners? Oh, you need great corners sometimes. Well, especially when it comes down to maximizing Tariq Wollin too. To your addition to this point is that you, if Carroll's being forward thinking here and what he's looking at with this whole with the Wollin situation and reacting quickly to it, I got another Sherman. I got myself another one of uh, maybe potentially his generation's corners of his tenure generation. I got that right now through the first year. What? How do I deal? Okay, what what went wrong with Sherman a little bit in my situation with him? Well, he was great, and we paid him, and he remained. He worked hard, and he still stayed on his P's and Q's. But you know what happened is that offenses started to kind of throw away from his side of the field. They started to ignore him. You remember that old playoff game against the Packers and Rodgers, where Sherman goes to Rodgers at, after the Packer game, after the game, and says, "You you you didn't throw my way. You were scared to throw my way, weren't you?" And everyone was like, yeah. And it's on, on Mike. You can hear him saying it. So what does he do to do that then? You build up the other supporting parts in a place where there is no refuge. There is no safe zone on the field. You know, every you go over here, you get just almost as likely as to be picked as if you go over there. And that's where now you open back the door open to now Woolen getting those targets. Um, I'm doing a video where I'm just finishing up, Brendan, on this right now. And last year, through the first six games of the year last year, Woolen was targeted 27 times. Through the back six games of the season, he was targeted 19 times, including multiple games with only one target. Mm. That teams were already trending in this direction. They were already starting to say, let's let's get away from this guy. And now you're you're taking the steps to your point on that to try to, you know, sewn this up a bit and smartly so. Yeah. So I, I he didn't play well. I, I think we should definitely admit that. I, I mm -hmm. have no problem Agreed. acknowledging that, but I'm not reading anything big into it. At worst, it's a bad game, and these guys have bad games. It's Agreed. not a bad time to have a bad game. And according to everybody at training camp, this guy's been one of the stars. So I'm not that worried about it. But I think on a day like this, you just kind of see the limitations. And I think this guy was a fifth-round pick. I mean, this is kind of why, I guess. That's right. And I, I I will go with you on that. We, we want them to make the determination about who's to start this upcoming year on the outside. And certainly Witherspoon is the long-term answer out there. But when it comes to this upcoming year and specifically down to a battle between, let's say, uh, Trey Brown and, and Mike Jackson, you want them to build up their determination on that, on what's happened throughout all of this offseason, through all of training camp, through the scrimmage, through all the preseason games, not merely one preseason game. And for all the folks I think that got hot to trot on Trey Brown, I found it a little bit ironic because, well, Trey Brown gets the pick and he looks good in this game. It's like, well, yeah, but he didn't look good in last week's game. If we're making our determinations off one game, shouldn't we just have just made our determination off that? It's like, no, because we don't make our determination off one game. And we shouldn't right. hear with Mike Jackson either. So yeah. uh, I trust the coaching staff to make the right choice on this. Coach Carroll doesn't tend to have, I can't remember one time in his history where he's had the uh, more talented corner sitting on a bench in favor of a less talented. The only guy I could think of was Trey Flowers, maybe, as one situation you could draw to. But aside from that, you always have the best out there that you have that you can have out there for the strongest unit. He's not going to leave if Trey Brown's balling and out and being awesome. He's not going to be left on the bench. Uh, let's see here. A couple of donos. Alan A. Thank you for the $10. Mike Jackson is built like Cam Chancellor and Cam <laughs> never had to play cornerback. Mike Jackson should be converted to free safety. Well, if he does that, he'll really never get to play on this current team because of our, <laughs> all of our safeties. <laughs> yeah. I, I never think Jackson will be probably a great corner, but he can be, I think, a guy gets to league average state. He needs to play in his own system. He needs to be off coverage, you know, but he's a he's a good, solid tackler, and he's going to give as good as he gets. 
um, when it comes to the outside. But, you know, he is like Brendan said, he's a fifth rounder for a reason. And some guys just end up kind of becoming what they are, you know, which is for the good and for the bad in, in his case. I still think too, there's a chance that last, what we saw last night was not going to be a representation of who Jackson is this year. Brendan mentioned this guy was a star during minicamp. Coach Carroll said he was near dominant at minicamp. He has continued to have a very good training camp. And this is only just one game now. I, I still come back to the point of this guy could still be a guy who's taken maybe potentially steps this offseason in his game, not to become a star, but to take steps in his game to improve and get better. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, to me, last year, when you consider the fact that we had a mediocre at best pass rush, I think he played quite well last year. It wasn't anything crazy over the top, but he did his job. And that's all you can ask for sometimes. 100%. And he had a lot of times that back at the schedule with Woolen getting the lesser targets. He was getting more of the targets his way, more tests. And he was seeing offenses roll their best receivers over to his side because they wanted to avoid having to go at Woolen. And so it made his task tougher last year. And he held up to that. He held up to that challenge relatively well, in my opinion. Like you said, both with the not the grace to pass rush and then taking on some tough, tough receivers on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey Olson, thank you for the $2. Jackson didn't look great, didn't see the hype. I mean, he he did not look great. I think we can all agree on that. 100%. I'm not saying last night was all, you know, him just that's – but again, just it is a game. And I, I don't think that when Carroll said he is being close to dominant minicamp, and I'm hearing about from reporters – I mean, there's even a reporter story I was breaking down that talking about them having DK and him going head-to-head over a series in camp and him just, you know, giving – kind of getting the better end of it at times. Um, I just think he's a very competitive guy who can be a, he's, who's not going to necessarily be a weak link for you out there. If you had to play him at corner or he's going to, we're not going to be looking at him and saying, well, there's one of our problems on defense. You know, he was never going to be in a range of a guy like Trey flowers where Trey flowers became one of our problems on defense. He's not ever going to be that for us. I don't see that, but I also don't think he'll ever be, you know, he's what he is a guy in a cheap rookie contract for a final year until you can slot Witherspoon in, but the Witherspoon pick happened like Brendan said for a reason. You didn't, you didn't just make that pick and just, you know, for the hell of it, you did it because you wanted to get somebody over there who could be um, truly close to dominant, if not dominant. Uh, John, thank you for the $5 Canadian. Do you think they pull the trigger and get Buckner? Maybe for Fant in a fifth, but go up to a third if need be. I, I think you're going to have to go mm. a little more up, maybe, mm. if I had to guess. I think you're probably right. Um, certainly I think both me and Brendan would sign up for making this trade, even if it was under the presumption of Fant and a second and a fifth, um, probably more like that is what you would have to probably pay. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to speak for you, Brendan. I, I would be willing to do it. Um, Colts are very thin right now at tight end. They need some help there for their young player. Um, this certainly could be beneficial to them from that standpoint, but, uh, the Colts are also in that weird place where I don't have any idea of what they're exactly doing this upcoming year. I, it doesn't, the plan doesn't seem, you know, particularly clear. If they were going for it, for instance, Brennan, if you want to go for it in the Colts this year, put Gardner Minshew in. Yeah. You trust, trust your roster. You trust that they've got the the goods to get it done. Then go with the guy that's shown you that he can, you know, keep the ship sailing if you've got some talent around him to work with. But they're not doing that. They want to go with the rookie quarterback where, okay, well then you you don't really trust your talent then because there's no way you can tell me you think Anthony Richardson's going to take you to a potentially a Super Bowl run in his rookie year this year. So at that point, right. What are you going to do after Buckner after this year? At at thirty, you're going to then sign him to the contract extension, and is he going to want to? With you know, it just seems a, the the whole Colts approach seems 
not like they've got something where they're really thinking, looking with foresight. Does it to you, Brendan? Does it not seem like a little more reactionary based right now with that organization? Oh, yeah. I, I don't think they have a good plan over there at all. And that's not surprising when you take a look at who's in charge over there, I don't think. Yeah. Well, well I got an owner, owner doing lines off the back of hookers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's probably, okay, he's not the only owner who does that, but he is the owner who you he's, know, he, who can tell. He's just the most visible. <laughs> he's yeah. the most He's the most physically visible of, uh, of the owners that are doing it outside of maybe Davis down there in the Raiders. But uh, I do it all day long. I will make that trade of a second and a fifth and fan. I would. Um, I don't think you make that trade. I don't think fan he'd be useful to the team this year, Brennan, but he's not part of your long-term plans. You're not going to sign him to a contract extension. You don't really, really have the money to do so going in next year unless you flipped out the Disley deal, which which is fine if you want to do that. But I don't yeah. think that he's done enough to necessarily cause you to do that. Whereas Buckner is a guy, as I look at it right now, Brennan, and I've thought about this a lot, when it comes to finding um, a guy that's – dominant or close to being a real difference maker down there as a defensive lineman, it's going to get harder and harder to find these guys as we're seeing the teams that do have them aren't trading them away, aren't letting them through their fingers. Washington isn't sitting there going, well, we paid Jonathan Allen. There's no way we can pay now Laron Payne. We've got to deal with Chase Young and we got to deal with uh, Montez Sweat over on the other side. There's no way we can t- pay both defensive linemen top of the market money to do that, but they paid it. Titans paid Jeffrey Simmons. Giants paid Lawrence. Dolphins are probably going to pay Wilkins. You know, there's only so many of these guys cut from this kind of cloth that are in this level and this, this, this point of ability. I, now, we are going to talk about the draft, I think, on Tuesday, Brendan, and there's certainly some def, definitely some defensive linemen the Hawk fans want to pay attention to who could be potentially those guys that maybe they're, that they're able to find the draft. But you're going to have to hope to grab those guys later on and find those, those guys that are going to be difference makers down the line. And they may not be available especially considering recently drafts haven't been very stocked up with defensive linemen and they'll probably go very fast in this upcoming draft. You know, I, well, we'll figure it all out on Tuesday on that. We'll have all the answers by the end of that stream. We'll, we'll we'll have this all figured out. Front offices are going to hire us after that show on Tuesday for sure. hundred percent. Well, we got the vision on that one. Yeah. All right. Um, so other than that, the secondary, I mean, Trey Brown did play a pretty good game. I think the interception's nice. Made a couple really nice tackles. Miscommunication on the touchdown. Do you think that was him? I kind of felt it was. I did because, yeah, Bush went looked right at him. The players will always tell you by the initial reaction, and guys will play it up sometimes so they can kind of fool you a bit with it. But Bush, Bush had that head snap reaction to him. And so they're running a pick play. And it's so much easier on the pick play to just to, to switch like you would in basketball. Like rather than making me run around the pick, when we're in this short space, which is going to cause him to have separation on the route, you just pick it up on the switch. And Trey didn't pick it up. He he rode with his man up the field. And that's what makes those routes hard. And and, and it's preseason communication and all that's a little bit, you know, going to be probably wonky, especially probably between two guys. I don't know if they've played a lot, you know, in that kind of moment with that kind of play. But um, it's teaching tape. And yeah, I would say it's probably on Trey to, to switch off there. Um, I like playing that better that way anyway, don't you, Brennan? I mean, it's just when when you those guys try to right much get better. around through. And, you, you know, the guy that's running the pick is always doing that <laughs> thing where he's kind of blocking, but he's not really blocking. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just just switch it. And then I'll pick up the other guy coming in the other way. Um, I couldn't help but notice Kobe Bryant played almost the whole game because Joey Blunt was out. I didn't notice him do that much, though. Did, did you what did you think of Kobe in this game? 
no, I don't. I don't think that there was a lot that that Kobe provided in this game, in my opinion. I mean, he's yeah, he was out there, I guess, but uh, he had a couple hits, I suppose. Um, but I didn't see him really flashing in coverage at any point. It, it's obviously sometimes hard, I think, when it comes to safeties. But you know, like checking the score here because he's, he's not always in screen when he's out there in that point. But he had a fifty grade. He was bad all the way across the line on sixty-two snaps with PFF. So you know, they didn't like any one part of his game at all. Like not coverage, yeah. not tackling, not his run defense. I, I continue to maintain. I think it's I think it's going to be a I understand what the team's doing. I, I get the create versatility, flexibility, and all that. But what's best for Kobe and what's best for the team here might be two different things. And I just don't find myself feeling like Kobe at, at this stage in his career, moving him to a third position in three years, you're setting him up for a successful point with this whole safety transition at this point, in my opinion. We'll see if I'm wrong on that, but I just think at the end of the day, keep him in the slot. If he's a backup slot at that point, so be it. You'll probably call upon him at some point, and we know he can be functional with that. But we're trying back a little bit more on the outside. I don't know, but I, I just don't think he's going to be a safety, in my opinion. Yeah, um, safeties in general, I didn't really – did you notice much from any of the safeties? Because I kind of didn't. No, after having a really, really good first performance, Jarek Reed got really quiet on this game and had that bad moment with Deuce Vaughn on the, the tackle that allowed the touchdown down there uh, near the goal line. But I don't remember any of the safeties in this game doing anything. So it was it, it was very, very, very quiet game. And now some of this could be, too, just the nature of them playing the coverages they were where things were just being in – very vanilla ease. So there wasn't a chance to show a flash for those safeties on the backside. I'd have to double check the 22 on that, but yeah, I, I didn't see, I didn't see much from it. Yeah. So I think that's most of the stuff on defense. Uh, Matt Gotell, the goat had a nice play TFL. Yeah. He's, and he looks pretty good about uh, being one of those big bodied guys down there. That's just naturally so large as it's just hard to find a hole around him. He just kind of takes up space, takes up blockers, and uh, he does a good job of that on even on plays that got to outside runs. Definitely, I mean, a fringe, you know, fringe guy. Is Jonah Tavai injured? He got waived a while ago. Did he? Didn't work out. That would have been a fun one, too. I was sad about that would have been fun. Too. Yeah, he would have been fun in preseason, man. He would have been a lot of fun. Um, I agree. But, yeah, no, I don't think there was much of um, – much of anybody else that did anything that stood out to me on the game defensively there. I mean, everybody was, it was just, they got the job done. You know, it wasn't always pretty. It was a bend, but don't break at times, but they always seem to get stiff right at the right time and uh, get a pressure when they need it at just the right time. And uh, that was able to kind of get the job done with it. Uh, special teams. Uh, Dixon looks locked in. Mm, absolutely. Dixon was killing the ball in that game. I think all three punts were right around 50 yards. Yeah, he flipped the field position on one tour. It was really nice and needed. And where you felt like, oh man, they're going to get this at around the 50. Instead, he ended up putting him out like the 32. And you go, that's why we got Dixon. <laughs> you just go, it's, it, it was, um, he's unbelievable at times because he gets where most punters have to make the, the, you know, the choice. I'm going to get either the distance or the height. He'll get the height and it'll just be up there for, you know, 15 seconds. Like he's got it hanging in the atmosphere. And then he also gets the distance with it on top of it. So the coverage unit's right down there to make the tackle, even when he's, when he's booming it. Um, he mm -hmm. rarely outkicks his coverage unit rarely does. And then he's a master inside the 20 on top of it. Yeah. I mean that the, the Marine layer gets him right. He's, 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 he's working it. That Aussie's working that Marine layer. Like you wouldn't believe mm -hmm. man. He's, he's, I'll go Roy. I'll figure that eh. It might, it might kill our offense for the Mariners. It might kill our home runs at home, but trust me, it's all worth it because 
the Dixon punts go right where they need to go because of that marine layer. And other punters coming in don't know what to deal with it. They don't understand. They're like, I kick it up there, and sometimes it'll just hang, and then I don't, I don't mean for it to hang. It's like something's grabbing it up there. And, yeah. and, and Dixon walks past, and he's like, "It's a marine layer, mate." <laughs> uh, um, Myers hit a fifty-seven yarder, but then missed the game sealer. Are we worried about Myers? What do you think? Well, I was always worried about the Myers from the day, day you signed that deal. Um, he has an eight-year career. That eight-year career is one that gives you enough time to say that's not a sample size and that it has been the same every year of his eight-year career. You can go look at his stats right now, Brennan. You'll see this. It's almost hilarious. Good year, bad year. Good year, bad year. Good year, bad year. Good year, bad year. That's his eight-year career. And it's clockwork. It goes tick, tick, tick. You don't have to wind it up. It just naturally goes in that clockwise direction and uh, we're due unfortunately for potentially a bad year. Now he's got the big leg, which I love about him where if you're going to pay the kicker, I hated paying Kauschka and he had the 43 yard leg. It's like, if I'm going to pay the guy, at least be a guy that can punch some kicks in from deep. If I need to, from time to time, take a few swings, right? Like, Hey, the offense ain't moving today. We really could use a 56 yarder. You know, I need a guy's got the leg to get there and how didn't this guy does as he showed in that game, but he also can, you can get the yips sometimes, man. Mm -hmm. Score touchdowns this season, please. Score, please score more touchdowns. Be better in the red zone than you were last year. That's for sure. And we won't have to cross this bridge. Mm -hmm. uh, Daniel Bailey, thank you for the dollar ninety nine. Why doesn't Kobe get any snaps at cornerback? Hmm. Well, I, I can give my answer on this, which is just a guess on this, Daniel, as it's a frustration I share. I don't really understand as well because I don't think that you've given him enough time to fail at outside cornerback to believe that he can't play outside cornerback. He was transitioned very early on to slot last year, not because he was bad at outside corner. Let's let's be clear on this. He was transitioned to, to slot last year because of the fact Justin Coleman had a fork in his back and was done, and you didn't have a backup plan at the slot corner position. That's why he was moved. That was at the forefront of that decision. Now, since then, he hasn't been accommodated, really, it seems like, to go back to outside corner. And he's not going to get any snaps in this preseason outside corner. And I, I think that, again, where I come back to this issue on it is to say I think there's there's a difference between what's best for Kobe Bryant here and what the team is trying to make best for themselves. And the team likes to have, as Carol's done with other players, let me get some depth built in by having a guy that can play multiple positions if stuff goes wrong. If we end up in this crappy situation, we'll have this guy that can fill in in, in a pinch and we don't have to panic. And that's good. That's value to the team. But does that mean that he wouldn't maybe be best suited eventually down the line of being a guy that does still go back and play outside corner? This is a guy that was a two-time All-ACC player at corner, outside corner. Mm -hmm. He was the Walter Thorpe Award winner over Ahmad Sauce Gardner in his final year in college. Maybe he sucks on the outside. Maybe he doesn't have it. But I sure would like to have a little bit more of a view to come to that determination than we've had. Yeah, I, I just I, I guess we just feel like it's too crowded out there for him to get in. And Agreed. that that could be the case. But I don't know. Maybe it's just going to be one of those things where he just never really gets the opportunity. I, I, I yeah, I don't know how to feel about it. I do admit that even if Kobe played well, it would probably be pretty hard for him to get on the uh, get get on the field as an outside corner. So I understand why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. But. I can understand that it also prob may not work out. I'm going to say may not work out. It's too early to say anything definitive, I think. Yeah, and they could be they could be really smart on this that it, he eventually naturally takes to it and it's it works great for him. Um but it, I do have that wonder in my head about is 
is maybe outside still the place for him. You know, maybe that is the, the, the best spot. Don't have a sure, sure answer, but you know, we'll see. Um, okay. I think we talked about this game about as much as we can. Do you have anything else you want to toss out there from this preseason effort? Jaron Reed, eight snaps early on, gave you the gave you gave you the pass rush, which is good. We know he can supply that. Um, run defense was a little bit touchy there. Cameron Rob, Cameron Young remains injured. Zero tech remains concerning. Yeah, I, I I do kind of feel like we are knowingly sacrificing the run defense a little bit, and we've decided that's okay. We'd rather have a pass rushing nose tackle and we'll just live with being below average against the run, which I don't hate. I don't hate it. I mean, Kansas city can't stop the run that well. They've won two super bowls in the last four years. Uh, A lot of teams recently have been very successful, not being that good against the run because the run game doesn't matter as much as it used to. I think the problem becomes when you're terrible, like one of the three or four worst teams in the league against the run. And we feel like we won't be that. So I kind of get it. I don't, I don't mind it. It's worth giving a roll and a try. And, um, you know, I think you eventually, if you go into the first few weeks of the season and it's completely, uh, you know, it's just uh, horrific, then maybe you can make that trade at that point and say, okay, we'll pivot off and find the guy. And you would think that's not going to be the hardest asset to find. Give me a nose tackle that can stop the run. I don't need any pass rush. Just give me that. Usually you can find those kind of guys if you really make an aggressive approach to go get one. Um, so the team probably would do that if that is the case. Um, and they do not seem concerned to your point. You know, this doesn't seem to be as worried as some of us fans are about it. And maybe they're just ahead of the curve on this one. The year Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl, their nose tackle, who I think was Vita Vey, got mm-hmm. injured pretty early. And they traded a seventh round pick for a nose tackle who was fine. Mm-hmm. He was not anything. He, was, he wasn't really good, but he was fine. Like it's, we could just do that. It's the benefit of being able of needing a position that's been devalued. It's like needing a running back, you know, where it's, you can probably go find one of those. Cause this is a position that the NFL is not holding as high value. So it's, you don't have to pay as much money and there's not as much scarcity for it because of that too. And so it's easier to go get because of it. So I, I have confidence they can find it, be it at the cut. If it's at the cut deadline or be it at the trade deadline, whichever one that they have to do this on, they can find it if they need it and they can address it. But uh, that doesn't mean that it won't necessarily potentially be Brendan. We start out the gate, an issue for this team and a, a problem that does get hammered early on. And that'll be the part to really be, tra- you know, kind of tracking on early this season with this team and where they're at. Right. And um, I think that's about all we got for this one. Let's, let's go. Well, it's been yeah. a good show as always, man. I appreciate yeah. talking with you on it. And uh, another great win, bro. Another great win. Yeah. This is a good start to the season. I, I think this team is putting an identity together. I don't know if you agree with this, Brent, or not, but my feeling on this is, yes, it's 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 too just preseason and you're playing first, second, third stringers and guys that might not even be on the team. But there's also that purposeful approach to the way that this team has been built to win with all three phases of the football game all three phases of the football team, you know, be able to lean on all aspects of that run pass, stopping the run and playing it, it all working together in sort of tandem. These first two wins have been kind of a, to me, a blueprint for how you're going to want to try to win this upcoming season too. Mm. No, I, I can kind of see that. I can see a little bit of an identity. Like, um, you know, it's even little things. Like I think our second play of the game, we went five wide. Mm-hmm. Like Charbonnet was lined up wide. Disley was lined up wide. Things you almost never see previously those guys typically don't do those things but it's like we're trying to like yeah we're going to be a pass happy team this year we're going to spread it out more than we did even last year 
So I see stuff like that and I go, yeah, I think I see what's going on here. Yeah. It's something where you're doing something, not just by it happening just because it just sort of just naturally happened, but you're purposefully making this approach occur and then you're getting the results from it. And uh, hopefully it'll bear out to the regular season for us, Brendan, but it's encouraging no matter what. Uh, Real quick here, Sam Hutchison. Thank you for the $2 just got in, but boy, does Mafe look elite. So hype. Yeah, we uh, love what we see from Mafe, and that was one of my guys in the draft. I remember the months leading up to the draft, you and me both spent a lot of time talking about Mafe, and he was one of my guys. Yeah, I remember. I remember you being hyped up on him. And a, a guy like Derek Hall that's very close in your evaluations when you look at those guys of being right on the edge of being late first round grades that you put on them because of just how naturally gifted they are. You go, how's this not a first round guy when you look at the the gifts? But a little late to football, not as refined. Things that couldn't get cleaned up, can get better, can improve with time. And uh, this kid got better every single season at Minnesota, added 50 pounds of weight through his time there at Minnesota onto that body. And that hard work and that ethic has still been at play, it would seem, over this offseason as he's come in looking as as, mo- as the most improved guy out of maybe the most historic draft class the Seahawks have ever had. That's saying something. Yeah. Do you have any idea what how Ebby Ketty's looking in Atlanta so far? Yeah, I've got a uh, guy that comes in my chat that's an Atlanta fan. Um, And what's interesting about these two guys, Brennan, is if you go and you look at the PFF grades, they were literally right next to each other as well in their PFF grades. So they had almost a very similar season to each other last year, both only about two sacks that they put on last year. But um, they still feel very good about him there. Uh, They like his upside, and and they built up a pretty good defensive line there kind of quietly Atlanta has this year. It's not like it's overpowering, but it's got – it's got some more strength than it has had in recent years. Yeah. So it's that first year, man, that those, those second round rushers, it's, I don't know why I, I mean, maybe you have an, a theory on this because you can find first round pass rushers, obviously who come in and have an effect instantaneously, but finding the second round guys who come in, give me, give me a guy with five sacks in the second round over the last six years. I can't find it. You know, why, why haven't we seen one of those guys, you know, come in that, that, that's, you know, flash at that point. Yeah, I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. But uh, I asked about Ebby Ketty because uh, he was kind of the guy who was linked at the hip with Mafe and everybody was kind of... I remember some Seahawks fans were disappointed because they thought Ebby Ketty was better and Ebby Ketty went one pick before Mafe, I think. The, the team wanted Ebby Ketty over Mafe. Mm-hmm. Um, the boiling article with the peak behind the curtain that he did two years ago, yeah. that article leaked out that little fact which is that the team was disappointed when ebiketti was going to go off the board because they were laying in wait to grab him now how far ahead did they have ebiketti of mafe i don't think very far because i truly believe that they were letting value guide their board and it was probably that ebiketti was a smidge above um but i don't think that he was some heads and tails above on their on their chart um from where they were either and i and when it comes down to it i i liked ebiketti a lot but but i do think that Ebiketti was a little more refined guy coming out. And I do feel like Ebiketti had a little bit more of the floor, whereas Mafe had the ceiling to your last commenter's point, which is that's what Mafe brings is he does bring that ceiling. It's not that the, that the place where me and Brennan were trying to get to earlier. And who's the commenter you had there? I'm sorry. The name uh, Sam, Sam Hutchison. Yeah. So Sam, yeah, we were getting this earlier where it's, it's not to say that he's in a place of, okay, he's up at Garrett or TJ Watt or any of these guys. There's like four guys up there that are this just different, you know, Micah Parsons, just complete, just, you know, fr- almost freaks there as edges. It's not that spot or has an upside that can, going to get there, but the place just below it. Yeah. He's got that place. And I don't know that Ebiketti does have that. 
And again, because he's going to round into being a really good player, but I think that the upside on Mafia is, is even a little bit more. It was just a more of a question mark on draft day if Mafia was going to reach it or not. And he's now gotten you a lot more certain to that answer as a yes, an, an affirmative uh, as we stand now. Um. Yeah, yeah, I pretty much agree with all that. I felt the same thing that you were, I think people liked Ebby Ketty a little bit more because he was more of a sure thing. And we did kind of want sure things out of that draft because we were coming off a pretty bad season. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, there was something about Mafe where I felt like he's going to get there. Like he's, he hasn't even played football that long. He was like Akeem Olajuwon who didn't know what a basketball was until he was 16. It was almost like that. Right. That's right. And I'm very much in on when we run into those kind of stories with players like that of believing uh, Witherspoon was this way a little bit too. Um, a guy late to football coming out um, that these are guys that are, are going to have more room for their projected growth than you end up for a guy that's been playing peewee football since he's seven. And, you know, he's kind of probably more of a, you know, finished product by the time he gets to the, to the pro level. Um, all right. I think that's about it for this show. So, Brandon, I want to thank you for coming out onto the channel tonight. Um, we had well over 450 people here at one point. We still got 400 in the room right now combined. Oh, So I think the thing about streaming to two different locations has uh, worked out because it seems like we're building more traffic because of it. So that's pretty cool. It's awesome to hear. It's awesome to hear. Yeah. And Tuesday night, we're going to be doing a very special uh bnb show a very over. special bnb on this week on a very special bnb episode that's right because uh college football starts this week later this week and we want to get people ramped up on that so keep an eye out for a tuesday show where we talk about the interesting prospects of this upcoming 2023 college football season Back at it on Tuesday, folks. We're going to get an eye on these prospects really early on and all the way throughout the year is just kind of an extra attachment here onto the BNB show. So, yep, we will see you back there on Tuesday for that. All right. So that will do it for the show. Thank you to everybody for coming out. I will be on Twitch later tonight. We're going to start random game from the N64 library on the Switch. We're going to do Mario Tennis and see if we can get into that at all. So, <laughs> Good yeah. luck. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, and look, it's two good preseason games now. We've had two good preseason games, and generally speaking, that's boded well for the upcoming season for the Seahawks, and it kind of makes me think of those great Seahawks teams from the early 2010s that w dominated in the preseason and then went out and started dominating in the regular season. So if you are not hyped yet, it's time to start building that hype a little bit and if you're going to build your hype, there's there's one thing you have to remember. You got to know it. You got to remember it. You got to keep it at the forefront of your mind. That's right. So I'm going to remind you guys, and I'll remind you guys again next show and the show after, but I'm going to keep doing it. It's always going to be one more time. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. <laughs>